And ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No. Because I'm going to get him. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this episode of the Hagman and Hagman Report, where we're coming to you live from our radio and television studios in northwest Pennsylvania. We broadcast live weeknights, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on the Global Star Radio Network. I want to thank Global Star for carrying our program. Also, YouTube Live and Blog Talk Radio, BTR. Thank them as well. Great outfit. Uh, well, let me tell you, uh, you can catch uh, the archives on YouTube Live as well as BTR. Speaking of which, folks, um, I did a six, about a six minute video. I had a conversation this morning with a, with a contact inside law enforcement circles inside the District of Columbia today. And, uh, let me tell you something, uh, please watch the video. It's, it's, go to HagmanReport.com and there's an article and then the video. Uh, please have a look at it. Um, please take it to heart. Understand that there are things taking place right now, uh, that are really, as far as I am concerned, having gone through the, um, and, and been a young man, very young man, but, but nonetheless remember, I remember the, uh, the late sixties and early seventies, the, the chaos, uh, the 1968 Chicago Democratic National Convention and all the chaos that was there. And, and of course the, Anti-war riots in the seventies, um, the uh, the protesters, all of that. I have never seen what is taking place in my lifetime with respect to this particular transition of power. And I will say that I don't think that we can understate how serious this is. And let me say this, uh, at the bottom of this hour, Stuart Rhodes will be joining us to give us a sit rep, a uh, uh, situation, uh, condition report. He will be attending, he and Oath Keepers will be attending the Deplorable. And, of course, giving us a situation report from Washington, D.C. We've got, uh, respect for Oath Keepers, um, what they do. And of course, Stuart Rhodes, a constitutional attorney, the founder of Oath Keepers. And everyone I have spoken to today inside, inside, who's there inside DC has, has told me that the mood is extremely tense. I've spoken to law enforcement officers. Uh, I'm surprised. Well, I would not be surprised to hear that if there would, if there haven't been Fistfights inside of different agencies. There appears to be a very, a very defined, well-defined um, chasm between those who support Obama and would have supported Hillary and those who are in support of Donald Trump. Now tomorrow, I will be here from eleven o'clock until two o'clock p.m to cover the inauguration. And I want to thank Tech Eric for his time and 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 his 
you know, he, he's got to be here as well. Uh, he, he's actually, uh, he's actually, uh, he, he had plans with his, with his son and he's given that time up. So I want a, a very heart, heartfelt thank, uh, thanks to him. But, um, everyone I've spoken to is expecting a lot of, well, obvious chaos and a lot of, of problems. Now, having said that, the very people I've spoken to about this have said, look, don't just look at the visible issues, the ones that will be periscoped from D.C. Um, or, or, you know, ca- uh, sent by cell phone, because you're not going to have major media, I don't believe, covering it, or you're going to have, you're either going to have excess coverage or, or, or very little coverage. It's going to depend on a lot of things, but the fact of the matter is, it's only just the start, and people need to realize this. In my, in my view, based on what I've, what I've heard from law enforcement sources, one in particular, this is only the start. So you've got, you've got trouble from without, outside. You've got the, you've got the chaos from from people outside of the outside of the uh, law enforcement circles. You've got chaos within the government itself, or this this infighting within the government. You've got Democrats, these progressive lawmakers, sending out the the inauguration. You've got uh, people who, mostly progressive Marxist, Leninist, communist, might as well call them what they are, communist sympathizers. And it's laughable that these people, these communists, uh, really, uh, who are have infiltrated our government, have been elected by the people. It's interesting to me that they're the ones that are accusing Donald Trump of of being cozy with the Russians when they they themselves embrace the communist or the tenets of the communist party so you've got you've got the infighting among the the government the, the congress you've got the infighting among the different police agencies within the beltway and outside of the beltway and you've got some major disagreements with within the military so you've got this cocktail, this very toxic cocktail right now, um, of potential uh, violence. Now, again, the violence is, the overt violence is one thing. What is taking place behind the scenes and under that surface of, of, uh, even the, the small waves that you'll see under the surface is much more nefarious. That is what we are going to be dealing with over the next Four days, four weeks, four months, and four years, or perhaps longer, because that is that element represents those people who have who have infiltrated our government, who, who side with the communists, who are anarchists, or who take the the people who are um, acting as uh, surrogate or acting as the uh, the heads of these useful idiots. Or I was going to say useless. Essentially, they are uh, cannon fodder for the police to to go out there and to cause trouble. And Andrew Kerr wrote an article. If you go to HagmanReport.com, and now we'd urge everyone to do this. Go to HagmanReport.com and read what Andrew Kerr wrote under self-proclaimed anti-fascist mirroring the tactics Nazis used to gain power. This is exactly what we're seeing here. The mastery of the streets was at all times the primary mission of the Nazi brown shirts. And it's amazing how the very people who accuse Trump 
Trump followers, Trump supporters as being Nazis are the very people who are actually engaged in this type of behavior. Uh, Andrew Kerr, uh, thecitizensaudit.com, wrote, James O'Keefe's Project Veritas released a new series of undercover videos this week exposing a plot hatched by anti-fascist, in quotation marks, protesters to disrupt President-elect Donald Trump's upcoming inauguration. And then he links to the videos, and you've, you've all seen these videos, but things like shutting down the pro-Trump inaugural ball, okay, by, de- by deploying uh, butyric acid uh, tonight. And again, we're going to have at the bottom of the hour Stuart Rhodes from Oath Keepers on, on site there to give us a sit rep, shutting down mass transportation across D.C. You heard, talk, you heard him talking about ch- uh, chaining up the trains. Uh, it, it's amazing, which, by the way, is a federal offense. Uh provoking violence between Trump supporters and protesters by punching supporters in the throat. Very tolerant, I might add. And then you've got paying homeless people. You talk about the exploitation. I mean, think about that, folks. Here are these progressive socialist justice warriors using, exploiting, and abusing homeless people, paying them to block vehicle and pedestrian traffic. What kind of insanity are we seeing? You compare that to the uh, times in 1968. Those of those of us who are old enough to remember, whether you're young or actually old enough to to really be involved in this, on either side to, to understand that the, uh, the what was going on in 1968, 1969, 1971771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771771
and telling people, look, uh, and, and it's interesting because I do note in the video I did today, notice how CNN is talking about continuity of government issues. Notice as well that the uh, Disrupt J20 that everyone is focused on is merely an umbrella group for all of the communist fronts and all of the Marxist-Leninist fronts that we see. And and also that, that the homeless men in Florida... Well, maybe at one, maybe he's homeless now. I, I don't know. I didn't do a background on him. However, at one point his family had given, he had given $20,000 to the Democratic National Committee. And of course, uh, he, uh, uh, his family is close to Hillary, Diane Rodham, the act Clinton. Now, and Bill Clinton, so connect the dots on this. And if, if I'm talking about the homeless man who appeared on Twitter, social network, to, uh, threaten directly uh, President-elect Donald Trump by saying that he was going to be there tomorrow to shoot him or to kill him. I don't recall the exact uh, <laughs> statement, but nonetheless, he's in the, he's incarcerated right now in jail. And some people believe that he's uh, mentally incapacitated. That very well might be. I would think that you would have to be in order to, to go on any social networking uh, site and make any type of threat like that, and especially against Donald Trump, and especially in the time period in which we live. That said, uh, we have a, just a, just a huge news day, and we're going to have a, just a, a tremendous program, which, by the way, is brought to you, being brought to you tonight by healthmasters.com, healthmasters.com. If you haven't taken advantage of this yet, folks, Doug Books, I believe it is, um, contact Health Masters for the latest uh special with respect to Hagman and Hagman.com. I've got to tell you, their nutritional supplements are second to none. They're the official nutritional supplements of the Hagman and Hagman report. We take them. Eric takes them. Everyone takes them. And we feel so much better for it. That's healthmasters.com, healthmasters.com. And don't forget, they have a show. Dr. Ted Brower and his son Austin have a show weeknights before ours on Global Star Radio Network and also comes after ours on the same network. I'll kick it over to Joe at this point. I want to um, back up and get into the CNN report that talked about um, the presidential successor being picked by Obama if something were to happen on Inauguration Day. Um, this is a lot of nonsense from CNN as there are continuity of government uh, plans in place, but they do not allow the sitting president to hand-pick uh, a member of his administration or uh, who's in, in Congress or, or the Senate to become the sitting president if something were to happen. Uh, what's misleading about this story uh, that it does not talk about is that not all um, members in the, in the continuity of government plan will be attending the inauguration. They take um, a few senators and congressmen and take them to an undisclosed location uh, far away from Washington, D.C., where there would be a functioning government already in motion working if something were to happen at the inauguration. And this is a pretty interesting story that, that CNN, um, they, they continue to get more ridiculous uh, the closer we get to the inauguration. And, and on being on the heels of the inauguration, there's events that started today, uh, 3 o'clock, uh, different parties and balls, and they're going to continue uh, after the inauguration and, and for the next few weeks. But... One thing, a few things that uh, we need to take a look at that we've talked about and, and mentioned here on the show just this week about the inauguration and the transfer of power is that, um, and you said this earlier, Dad, that the uh, the mainstream media 
we can't look at their inauguration coverage to find out what's really going on. Uh, and I think it's going to be up to the news organization, but we're going to see some news organizations who are looking for trouble and trying to only focus on that trouble, making it look like an unsuccessful inauguration or more chaotic than it is. And then you're going to have news organizations that avoid this kind of trouble because we are talking about the office of the president of the United States. And regardless of who is becoming the new president, the office itself has a, a reputation to uphold a, per, a level of professionalism. And they're going to, uh, I would suspect CNN would focus on the trouble, um, while the, the main, you know, ABC, NBC, um, maybe Fox will focus on the office of the president more so than who's taking the office. There are lots of threats of violence. I think what we're going to see is mostly uh, small disruptions. And I think the inauguration itself in the public will go off without any incident, at least in the uh, vicinity where the president is and uh, the people watching. 35,000-plus law enforcement agencies. There's an interesting article about Washington, D.C.'s cybersecurity measures that are being taken on the inauguration. They call it D.C.'s Digital Shield. And they say that digital security encompasses uh, a wide range of activities on Inauguration Day and Inauguration events that the Secret Service Critical Systems Protection Division has safeguards in place uh, for security of digital systems within the sites that the President-elect and Vice President will be visiting tomorrow. And, uh, I mean, they got, reading this article, they really um, leave nothing to chance um, the Secret Service issued a statement and the National Security Service is with them saying, tomorrow's inauguration presents several evolving elements of complexity. They talk about the responsibilities on government agencies charged with securing the physical area around the inaugural itself and other activities in the city. Uh, what they're also doing is within 50 miles of the city, cyber uh, critical infrastructure is the power, water, um, things we use every day, but are able to be hacked by outside influences, what they're doing is they have, um, they've been preparing, preparing for this for months. So they have put sensors and they lock down all the critical infrastructure uh, that can be affected within a 50-mile radius uh, for the whole day tomorrow. And they'll be monitoring all the, any um, anomalies in the, in the power systems, the water systems, and other critical infrastructure that is included within uh, the inauguration within the city of Washington for a 50-mile radius. And what they're doing is uh, power, cellular, water, from any type of remote access, network intrusion, or interference, which could be done by a foreign government or independent actor, they actually take the ability of outside influences to uh, mess with any of these systems of critical infrastructure. And um, as I said, I think the inauguration, the actual inauguration ceremony should be pretty smooth. Now, what happens before the ceremony and after the ceremony is what we're really going to have to pay attention to. Um, the transportation systems, like you mentioned, the flow of traffic in and out. Uh, there's a lot of talk of people forming human chains or chaining up uh, a number of, of avenues of transportation. You have the other disruptions that have, you know, were planned from sporadic violence to um, you know, civil disobedience and other types of protest. But this is something that um, we'll be covering and keeping an eye on. And as you said, we have to have people who are on the ground in Washington giving us updates because I don't believe we're going to get the 
full picture of what's going on, regardless of what's being shown on TV. Well, and I think people need to understand that the protests that you're going to see can be explained in a uh, Benghazi-esque style by the media, perhaps. Oh, they're spontaneous. And to some extent they are. Here, here's how it works. You've got uh, cells. You've got uh, leaders of cells that uh, are operating. They're the communist leaders, the anarchists of of my generation, perhaps. Uh, you've got the Bill Ayers that type who are still around and, and they of course are the leaders of these activist cells under uh, operating under the various socialist and communist parties and, and they are training these again these useful idiots these these young children these young men and women the snowflakes who have been indoctrinated through their college education or miseducation uh and and it is so horrendous how this is taking place where uh, the Bill Ayers types, the Saul Alinsky followers, the, 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 those who embrace the anarchist uh, operational tactics are using these young people, these social justice warriors, these brainwashed uh, to, to go out and to do the dirty work for them, of course. Uh, now, and, and he, I think of Michael Moore. Who really gives a damn what Michael Moore thinks, says, or does? Much like Barbara Streisand, for example. Well, believe it or not, society, and whether you believe it, whether you like it, whether I like it, it doesn't matter. They have, they have influenced a large part of the population, especially the younger people, to go out and protest. And it's not just them, it's the... The vehicle that's driving those messages is the media. Of course. And what's disappointing is that the media knows that these people are just giving an opinion and speculation on what they believe or how they perceive things to be. But they're running it as real news, as some sort of, uh, to create real opposition against Donald Trump. And that's continuing to add to the divide uh, in our political atmosphere in this country. And, and, and I would urge everyone, again, go back and, and, Think about tomorrow, and if you have a chance today after this broadcast is over, uh, take a listen to John Whitehead. Go to our YouTube channel. This is exclusively on our YouTube channel. And go to the interview I did yesterday with John Whitehead of the Rutherford Institute and listen very closely to what he's got to say to what he said yesterday. It's, it's only 55 minutes or whatever it is. Listen to it because, because understand, we view the events tomorrow in the context of what Mr. Whitehead from the Rutherford Institute has explained with respect to our government and the operations. The reason I say this is because we, the conservatives, the Christians, the people with values, morals, principles, the people who don't want to uh, recognize or feel that they have to uh, accept 36 different transgendered pronouns to describe someone or, or to kowtow to those who feel that they uh, are trapped in someone else's, like a, a woman's body if you're a man or vice versa, or that you, it, the people like us who are sick of all of this, this garbage, finally now we feel and this is the playing field. We feel now we've got that ability to say, okay, it's a new day. Now we're, we're going to reset some things, including that BS. And you know what? 
we're tired of this 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 illegitimate social justice. Um, I need my I need my safe space crap. We're not going to put up with this anymore. We men will be men, women will be women. It's uh, and you know and so on. So at its epicenter, the the fight that is taking place, I will say, is larger. We can't. Tomorrow is just going to be a just a momentary snapshot in time. Will anything horrible happen? It, it, that's not even the point. We prayerfully hope that it does not. But the point, that's not the point. The point is this. The, the people who have been ingratiated themselves, infiltrated themselves into power, the people who have, uh, Obama and others before him, the globalists who have allowed those people into power, the social, the socialists and the communists, the globalists, uh, who have brought people into positions of power through appointment, election, whatever, selection, it is those people where the fight will continue. So we have to keep our eyes on what's taking place. Tomorrow will be just a mere microcosm. And you know what? They're holding on to their threat of power like a uh, grappling or like a like a repelling rope, if you will, on the side of a mountain. And this is what we're looking at. So tomorrow is going to be a historic day in the transfer of power, and it's going to be one that we really need to keep our eyes on. But don't take them off. Look further ahead and if you don't see trouble coming then i'm afraid you're suffering from rectal cranial inversion i would contact either a proctologist or a general surgeon depending on the depth of that problem we got a minute left before the break and Stuart Rhodes from oath keepers will be joining us uh, this is a very interesting article there's a few articles and, and pieces of news about this will obama issue a pardon for hillary clinton michelle bachman uh, today on in an interview on fox news seems to think that sh- that Obama will. And there was also a New York lawyer who wrote an op-ed in the New Yorker asking the president to pardon former presidential candidate Hillary Clinton and others who may be potential targets of an investigation due to her private use or her use of a private email server. And uh, I know what everybody's thinking if that pardon comes down. Uh, it, it seems like it would almost be an admission of guilt that she did break the law. But she would have to allocute to her crimes if a pardon was issued, if she was called to testify, which could present problems of her having to admit some kind of wrongdoing after she furiously denied it all throughout the presidential campaign. When we come back, founder of Oathkeeper, founder of Oathkeeper, Stuart Rhodes will be our guest and he's going to be giving us, um, his insight and updates live from Washington DC at the deplorable. We'll be right back. We are attempting to get Stuart Rhodes on, so I guess I believe he is on. Stuart Rhodes from Oathkeepers, the founder of Oathkeepers.org, an organization, folks, that we all need to support. We need to lift up in prayer. Stuart Rhodes from Oathkeepers.org, a good friend. He's in Washington, D.C., on site on the eve of the inauguration, 
And uh, before we bring him on, I just want to uh, to direct it again, everyone, to his website, OathKeepers.org. Uh, Refuse fascism, by the way. Stop the Trump-Pence regime before it starts. Is a built errors organization. The Deplorable, scheduled uh, for tonight. I believe Stuart Rhodes is there. And go. Okay, got a thumbs up. Stuart Rhodes, are you there, sir? Yes, I am. How you doing? Good, sir. What's the situation out there? Everyone knows who you are. Our audience is prepped for you. Give you an introduction well, we're, before the... we're on our way to the Ball. We're not there yet. What we're hearing is that there are a bunch of protesters, a few fascists outside, uh, making a bunch of noise, which so far doesn't really concern us. Uh, okay. I think the security there is pretty solid, so I think it'll be fine. We'll, but we'll see. You know, the, the real the real question is is whether or not the more uh, violent Antifa, uh, well, I could call them lefty fa, they're lefty fascist, but. That's the real question, is whether they will show up along with Black Bloc and, and try to assault people. And that's why we're there. That's why we're, we did a call out for our guys to be, in particular, tomorrow. Uh, tonight, Michael Trump seemed to have a pretty good handle on the Torah ball. Uh, we're going to have our guys out tomorrow roaming around and roaming teams at 4 to 8. Um, basically, any place where people are vulnerable, towards the rear of the crowds, towards the periphery, where the bad guys might come out and think they can you know, go and punch somebody, a sucker punch someone, and then back, run back to their safety. So that's what we want to look for tomorrow and do our best to stop. Um, the anticipation to this inauguration has been uh, pretty high, and it, as the tensions have been pretty high with all the threats of violence and, and the uh, continued political divide in this country. Um, if you had to, to guess tomorrow, what, what do you expect to see? Do you, do you expect uh, you know, problems in and around the inauguration? Do you expect the problems to be more uh, less or more widespread, I guess, less focused on the inauguration and, and more sporadic throughout the day? Uh, or do you just see well, a smooth transition to power? Well, no one's got a crystal ball. That's the problem, is that when you still have a, a traitor in the White House, until, until noon tomorrow, almost anything's possible. You know, and we look back at history, look at what happened to Reagan, look what happened to JFK. So there's concern there. I think it's valid. Um, there's concerns. I have concerns, frankly, about the construction going on around the Naval Memorial. That's, that's a perfect place for someone to plant an IED or, you know, smuggle in some kind of a mass casualty device. So I'm, I'm going to take it paying special attention to that tomorrow. But, I, you know, I think it's going to be okay. I think the attempt by Bill Ayer, the other communists, to try to raise up some kind of, uh, you know, revolution, I think it's, it's mostly astroturf. They're busting in people from out of state. But the problem is they can still hurt people. So that's why we're going to be out doing our best. And, and I know the bikers of Trump will be out there also and uh, trying to keep people safe. But, uh, but I think people need to have their head on the swivel tomorrow and be, be aware and ready. And other folks in other parts of the country should be ready for civil disturbances and riots in, in their areas, too. I think that bad guys want to cause division and they want to just, you know, see America burn so that they can, uh, you know, create a destruction. If they don't have political power, then they, then they seek to do it through alternate means, and this is the alternate means. The um, actual inauguration, the swearing-in of the president, is obviously the most focused uh, event when it comes to the media and everything, what um, what's the schedule of the day look like for tomorrow and the next couple of days? What other events are happening uh, outside of the actual swearing-in ceremony? Well, there's there's a, an attempt to they're going to do basically their their own little um, almost like an Arab Spring type occupation of the of the ellipse below the White House and demand that Trump not be allowed to take power. Of course, that's not that's going to fail. 
uh, unless something unforeseen happens tomorrow, uh, between now and tomorrow. So, but you're going to see Bill Ayers and the and Colonel Dix, the other revolutionary revolutionary communist party USA people out there trying to trying to create like a set of grass, kind of like a astroturf, trying to spark a uh, mass uprising. But I think they're delusional. I think this is Bill Ayers' last gasp of what he tried to do back in the 70s. Because I can read, you know, Prairie Fire, which he wrote back in 74, their handbook. It's the same playbook. You know, days of rage and causing riots. And then they wound up, you know, blowing up bathrooms and government buildings. And I think we might see that. I think we'll see a wave of terrorism, much like the other underground uh, wave back then. That's what we're going to see. And I think this will still fail because it's not going to cause an uprising. All it's going to cause is, is for the left to be further delegitimized, which I think is actually good. Um, I think they're starting to show their true colors, which is communist. You know, let me let me ask this question before uh, before anything happens, we get cut off, or you've got to leave. Um, I think it's necessary for us to ask how we. As, as the Hagman and Hagman report and our listeners, each and every one, each and every American listening to this broadcast, how can we best help you, uh, Stuart Rhodes and the Oath Keepers? What can we do to assist you to, to ensure the, uh, the safety of our officials, the, the, the people that we've elected into power and of course your own people? What can we do for you? Well, anybody with a driving range is, is welcome to come to D.C. And, and do what we advise in our call to action, which is form of four to eight-man teams and go out and, and make sure you're together so you're able to protect yourselves, but then watch for vulnerable people being attacked. That's the, you know, as far as the immediate environment in D.C., it's what we're concerned most about. I don't think uh, we have to worry too much about the parade route. I think the Marine Corps, the National Guard, the cops have that covered. But what we, we worry about is a, re- a repeat of what we saw in San Jose where you had lone individuals or two people being assaulted by, by gang of thugs, basically. So, you know, go out there and, and be ready to counter them. And in your own hometowns where you're at, watch out for civil disturbances there. And I would encourage absolutely everybody just to redouble up on their, on their food preps and their storage, their food storage, and make sure they got secure comms, make sure they got, you know, redundant ham radios and some ability to reach each other. Because if it goes to hell in a handbasket nationwide, you might see a disruption of internet services and phone services and, and, and not be able to use your normal everyday communications. So get ready, just in case. They can't hurt, because the globalists will probably try to, you know, kill the economy anyway. That's what they're probably going to do to us and the people in Europe to, to counter this uprising of people, uprising of nationalism across the West. Um, that's their great uh, nuclear, you know, kind of like the uh, neutron bomb option, right? It kills the people or, or disrupts the society without destroying the infrastructure. So watch for that. We've all been watching for a few years, but it's all the more important now to realize that's their fallback plan. Uh, Stuart, how long are is Oath Keepers and yourself going to be uh, in D.C., and uh, are you guys attending um, the events that are happening, the uh, parades, and um, what events? We'll will be here think? through... We'll be here throughout all day tomorrow, and we'll see how it goes. And if we need to stay a lot longer than that, we will. But uh, at least through tomorrow. And we'll be everywhere, right. and, any, and anywhere, if we want the bad guys to understand. So... Now, just to be clear, too, the last time you were on our program, you, t- you spoke about the uh, infiltration. You, your organization, have, have infiltrated, and we won't speak uh, out of school here, but but you've got operational assets who have infiltrated the uh, various uh, anarchist organizations, 
whether it be through yes. direct, you know, so direct contact or surveillance. Um, we, we infiltrated directly infiltrated all of their all their meetings, the recent meetings, all of the groups, refused fascism, Antifa, um, Answer, absolutely all of them. So okay. disrupt J twenty. We did we did all of them, and we passed that information on to the DC police, and we also passed it on to Project Veritas too, to uh, help with their you know we're assisting them. If and forgive me if these questions, you know, if you've been hit with a lot of these same type of questions, but it's my understanding based on the information I've received from my law enforcement sources, a couple inside the Beltway, uh, disrupt J twenty. That's the umbrella organization, the primary organization. Under is that relatively true? Um, um, kind of. The refused fascism has the money, though. So they they came in, and they're all combining. It's really interesting. Answer's given up their permit, basically, uh, closer to the White House, to disrupt J-20. So now J-20, now disrupt J-20 has a spot right on the route. And they're going to be bringing in their black bloc, and Antifa radicals will be right there. So the more violent elements down have a foothold right on the parade route. So folks need to have their head on a swivel tomorrow and have a pair of doors. And don't forget those weapon caches that were found. You know, three weapons caches were found near American University where Disrupt G20 was doing their training. So, you know. Very true. Don't, yeah. Down the table. Okay. All right. And, and um, Look, I would urge anyone that can to donate to your cause. Uh, again, we've got boots on the ground. This is not, a, it's not a cheap date to protect, uh, others and, and to do what you're doing. So, uh, go to oathkeepers.org and, uh, do what you can to, to support oathkeepers. And of course, as Stuart said, 48 man teams, uh, up here tomorrow and help out in the, uh, in the observation, as well as the, shall we say, protection or run interference on behalf of Oath Keepers, and look up. Uh, are you going to have? Are you going to be easily identifiable? Oath Keepers are. Oath uh, keepers? No, we won't. So that's my, my advice to other groups is they can certainly contact us if they're from a large group. But that's the beauty of it. Just take four guys, four to eight guys who are competent and have each other's back and go out and do the work. They can go find our, our call to action, which, which gives guidelines from our experienced police veterans about how to do this, and we just encourage all those other groups out there to go do it themselves. Go for it. Um, right. You can certainly contact us, and we'll try to hook up, but don't worry about that. Just go get it done. All right. Look, we, we know how it is being on the road, being, you know, tra- uh, as you're going from one place to another, you're on the way to the deplorable. We understand that. We know it's a pain in the butt for you to be on the phone right now. Um, you know, to, to talk to you. Well, you know, I, I'll tell you what. Um, we'll just give you a, the the go ahead and whatever closing comments you have, and we'll let you run because I know that you're super busy. The last thing you need to be is doing is uh, uh, talking to us. Um, That's so right. You, you sure? Because you know. Uh, well, I mean, okay. So, um, we'll, by the way, will and I've, I've been hearing different things. Is Ayers Bill Ayers? Is he physically present, Bernadine Dorn? Or yes. Physically. Yes. Okay, Bill, Ayers, Bill Ayers is sitting at the table. Uh, interesting enough, he was eerily silent. Even when they introduced him, he just nodded his head and smiled, and he didn't say a friggin' word, but he was right there at the table, kind of like George Washington at the Continental Congress, you know, letting, <laughs> leading, uh, lending his gravitas to the, to the occasion. This is their, this is their George Washington. They looked up to this weather underground terrorist as, as their saint of, of, you know, how to do things right. And I think it's no surprise that Obama has been, been pardoning all of these, all these radical terrorists from the 70s. He's sending a signal that this is, these are his peeps, okay? So like I said, the, the left is starting to really, you know, rip off the mask and show us their true color, which is red. 
They've always been communists. A progressive is a communist. A socialist is really a communist. Who hasn't found his AK yet, as, as Mike Vanderbilt always said. You know, he should know. He used to be a com- communist in his young and dumb days before he became an American patriot. So this is what they are, and they're showing their true colors again, and, and that's their George Washington uh, Bill, and Bill Ayers. And here's the thing to think about. He's getting old, so is Soros, so is Hillary. All these radicals and, and, and zealots are getting old. So don't be surprised if that doesn't factor into their plans. they got to accelerate. They have a narrowing window of opportunity to get their dream world set up. And they're going to go for it. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And, and that, 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 that's the way it kind of feels. And when I spoke to my law enforcement source today, that's, that was one of the things that was said that wasn't, I really didn't comment on was the fact that this is kind of like their last gasp, their last it is. attempt. Yeah. All right. And Absolutely. That just, wow. Okay. So, yeah. so real. Okay. And, and the other thing, the, the, the pardons of, of the, um, uh, of the communists, the, the FALN uh, members and such. I mean, what is, you're right, what a signal this sends. And, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's, just, it's just crazy. Uh, it is. And you go look at the rhetoric. They've managed to pollute the minds of, you know, a, a horribly, horrifyingly large section of the Democratic Party now are basically communist. That's why they voted for, for Bernie Sanders. He's a socialist. He's really a communist. You know, and so we have a real serious problem in this country of an infestation of, of radical Marxism. And it's being used by the globalists as, as a divide and conquer strategy. You know, they're, they're useful idiots for the, for the globalists. And then you can look at the jihadi thing. It's another, another element. So I think you're going to see the pro- it's war by proxy now. It'll be open war by proxy, more cop killings, more radical left terrorism, uh, more jihadi terrorism. So it'll be their way of trying to fight back against this, this surprise loss. They thought Hillary was an absolute shoe in and this, this caught them off guard. And, and you know, and, and I think we helped a little bit with that. We were out there with Operation Sabo watching for any vote fraud on Election Day. Um, I think that helped. And this is much the same thing. We're going to be out there doing our best to, to chill the plans of the uh, of the bad guys. But I think I encourage folks to prepare for a long fight. You know, we want to battle, but stop the war. I, I actually got an email from a guy that he is wrote me an email and said, oh, we won, Trump, Trump's in office now. And I wrote back and said, that was a battle in a long, agonizing war. It's going to take a long time to fight our way back and do our long march through the institutions. So one parting shot is, is, is after uh, tomorrow, in fact, after the inauguration, we'll be focused on putting our Oath Keeper chapters together on college campuses so we can go in and depollute those young minds. Good luck with that. Um, that's a tall task for anybody. It is, uh, I know. Considering the state <laughs> of the universities and their mentalities today with their right. social justice warriors and their political correctness, or what they call political correctness, is the intolerance of any other ideas that oppose theirs. So if you pass the faculty, yeah, if you actually get an opportunity to speak to the students, you might have half a chance, but getting through their... Oh no! We have defense. a right to free speech and association. Our young veterans are returning from Afghanistan and Iraq that are going to college. They have a right to free speech and association. They have a right to force student groups. They can't stop them. They can Did try. You see, um, we'll just back. a few days ago on a college campus, uh, I'll find the location here. There were three people handing out pocket constitutions who were arrested for oh, yeah. for doing that. Uh, from y'all, from the American for Liberty. That's right. Yeah, yeah, I and, saw that. Do you expect to run into, um, you know, campus police or even local police that would, uh, I guess, do you expect problems from, from going on campus 
Are you prepared? In, Absolutely. In I expect the bad guys to try to do that, and, and that's where we have to keep reaching out to those cops. It's like you know, you're not the you're not the Stasi. You're not the Cheka for these for these radical zealots. You know, you, you, you took an oath to the Constitution. So we have we have seen good police officers on college campuses who refused to become political weapons against against students who are disliked. Um, in fact, our own guys have done it, so it's possible. So we'll, you know, it's a two-pronged approach. We'll do our best to persuade the, uh, the police on the campuses not to be the muscle for the Marx zealots. And at the same time, we'll also fight in court if we have to. But yeah, I think, I think hats off to Young Americans for Liberty. I think they're doing good work. And, and you know, they're out there on college campuses as well. And we'll, we'll be supporting them too. So we hope to work with them. But our main focus is going to be those returning veterans and teaching to keep the students how to defend themselves. You know, like all these college shootings where they just, you know, curl to a corner and a ball and wait to be shot. It's horrible. They've been conditioned to be servile victims and we need to counter that. Amen to that. I have a question here from Jan and Rob, who are actually in Washington, D.C. right now, uh, saying that they've seen uh, some, and I'm quoting, a couple of mobs, uh, small mobs of protest. Uh, but their question to, they want would like to, uh, me to ask you is, uh, your relationship with the D.C. Police, Secret Service, uh, National Guard, positive generally or negative? Oh, very positive. Um, the only problem is, is the leadership of the D.C. Uh, Metropolitan Police seems to be, uh, you know, afraid to do anything. But no, rank and file and mid-level guys are absolutely good people. That's good. not a surprise. Okay. So we're good to go. Hey, I got to go, Doug. Um, I appreciate right you on, calling me. And uh, anytime I can come back on, like tomorrow, if you want me to get an update, I will have to be happy to do that, okay? Right. Respect your time. God bless you. We will, you will be Thank in our you. prayers and, and our support. God bless. Thank you, brother. God bless. Thank you. Bye. All right. Stuart Rhodes, OathKeepers.org. Folks, support that man. Support that organization. Stuart Rhodes from OathKeepers.org, uh, on the ground in DC. We're getting reports from others in DC via emails. Look, there's some issues here and there. Um, again, Jen and Rob not seeing, uh, and I want to thank you both for sending, uh, sending that email about a couple of mobs, uh, looks like near a, a metro station. I'm, I'm going to wait for more information before I get into that. Um, but, but, know, but go about on. These mobs, one of the things that we haven't really looked at or talked about too much is the fact that these people are putting themselves in danger when you have the support. Uh, Trump has a lot of support. He has a big base. Obviously, he was voted in by a wide margin, regardless of the popular vote. Um, he really dominated uh, throughout the whole country, and he had to dominate throughout the whole country in getting the vote in order to win the election in the fashion that he did. And when you you have passionate people who are on either side uh, during this in this political climate, and you have an event like the inauguration, people who just I mean, we saw a lot of restraint at different Trump rallies where people would you know start throwing sucker punches as as uh, was alluded to one of the tactics earlier that they're going to use. I'm not sure, uh, and it would have to be, you know, law enforcement is going, to, is going to be around. So I just wonder, you know, if some of these protesters um, are getting in over their heads and, and don't understand what they're really doing, except wanting to just disrupt the event, wanting to try to make some kind of difference for their, their so political it, side. But to, they're to really... Me, well, to, Joe, to me, and I'm just going to say this, and you can continue, uh, with, with these snowflakes, it would be like handing a loaded gun to a chimpanzee, okay, on on on, on crack. Okay. Just get that mental picture, all right? 
I mean, people are sick and tired of the, the attitudes and the, the misinformation, the lies that's being put out there about Trump, the threats of violence having to be on edge, worried what's going to happen, to the point where if something does happen, regardless of how small it may seem, um, these people need to be careful what they're doing because they could find themselves in a situation where, you know, you get groups of people beating on them for, for starting trouble or creating violence and inciting violence themselves. That's very true. And one thing, ladies and gentlemen, that I, I want to drive home uh, when I spoke to my law enforcement source today as well, who said this, eyes on not just D.C. Well, everyone's eyes are on D.C., but New York, Los Angeles, Miami, other big cities, Chicago, all of these locations understand that there will be some um, chicanery taking place or attempts. I, we're certain of that. Mm-hmm. These groups, the, these, these anarchists. J20, uh, some of the leaders there, some of the stuff that came out with uh, James O'Keefe's Project Veritas undercover operation, uh, they actually have the video of people saying, well, you know, if you can't get near the inauguration, create trouble in your own city, town, or space where you can affect change. So I, I do expect to see um, protests in some of the more major cities and I guess how that will end up will will depend on um, how this goes throughout the day. If there's you know police resistance to those protests, if uh, depending on how many people are there, once you get the group and mob mentality, things can go bad fast. And as you said earlier, these people are concerned about you know, losing their their power or their perceived power. Um, well, what Stuart Rhodes said was absolutely true in my view. You're getting uh, you've got Bill Ayers, okay. Um, and Bernadine Dorn, she's getting pretty They're crusty. Like the, the Pope right. and First Lady of uh, Domestic Terrorism right, for the, you know, right. from the '60s on. But 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 when you look when you look at you know how crusty both of them are, because of their age and and you know their their spiritual and, and ethical condition, um, this is their last chance. I mean, here's the outgoing um, Muslim in chief. That, that that they could have they they could have had this uh, change through this transition to Hillary Rodham Clinton, uh, and of course they don't have that now. So now they've got to go to Plan B. What's their Plan B? Their Plan B is crusty and 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 and, and really irrelevant. They are. They've got to rely on useful dopes uh, mind numb snot nosed mealy mouth idiots out there that went to college on their fathers and mothers dimes or your dimes that have been indoctrinated into this uh, Marxist socialist system by college professors who are so uh, looped out on, on, on some sort of you know uh, crack or the crack of communism that uh, well you know we'll send them out for the fodder for the uh, uh, for the patriots and for the for the for the police. Some interesting as we're closing out this hour, uh, little tidbits, and I think we can do a lot more of this tomorrow. Um, the first inauguration to be broadcast on the radio. When do you think that was? If you had to guess, uh, that would have been. Uh, let me think. Um, hang on, hang on. I I, I probably know this. Um. Inauguration on radio. First inaugural ceremony broadcast nationally by radio. On okay, inaugural ceremony. <laughs> this is probably a trick question, but no. I'll say Wilson. Um, you're not far off. Nine, March fourth, nineteen twenty-five. William Taft. I was and, thinking about Taft. 
Only because there's a lot of firsts well, right after Rose, uh, right after Wilson. Because Taft reminds me of Rosie O'Donnell. You uh, didn't have the inauguration being held on January 20th until uh, 1937 at the second swearing-in of Franklin Roosevelt. And um, it's interesting to see how many presidents uh, use the same Bible, the same Bible verse from 19. 19- 45, uh, from 1929 to 1945, all the presidents in that time period used, uh, 1 Corinthians verse 13. And then there's a lot of other firsts. Right after the first radio broadcast of an inaugural ceremony, um, William Taft's second, second inauguration was the first ceremony to use a recorded talking newsreel on uh, 1929. But there's a lot of, if you go through the history of the inaugurations and um, especially when it gets very detailed. They talk about which presidents used which Bibles and which verses. And um, interesting, just a little note, George W. Bush wanted to use the Masonic Bible that had been used by George Washington in 1789 and his father. Okay, hang on a second. I'm getting reports here on, on social networking feed that tear gas is, is, has been used um, outside of the deplorable. All right, and that's obviously related to protesters, and that's where that's, that's where the rose is going. Protesters uh, making a lot of noise outside, so um, yeah, I guess that's expected. Uh, and we're going to have reports like that coming from the next forty-eight hours after, as all these events continue, because uh, there's a lot more to the inauguration than just the actual swearing in. You have parades, you have dinners, you have inaugural balls, and they uh, are saying that five days before the inauguration. And five days after the inauguration, those ten days are all uh, celebration days and, and parties and whatnot uh, for the politicians in D.C. and those other people that are attending these ceremonies. Um, when we come back, we're going to be joined by former Satanist Zachary King. His website, um, if you want, if you can search Zachary King on YouTube, or you can go to his website and allsaintsministry.org. He's a former uh, Satanist who talks about uh, what he has been through in his life. He's 26 years, I believe, he was a, a Satanist, conducting rituals uh, from abortions to other things, and we're going to be with him on the other side. Stay with us. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. Our next guest, or very special guest, is uh, Mr. Zachary King. He is a former Satanist, 26 years as a former Satanist. He's got a lot of the inside scoop about what goes on inside the Satanistic uh, cabal, the Satanist cabal. And the reason we asked him to come on is to explain things. Because, you know, it's it's one thing to hear, for example, and let me just use this as an example, that uh, in some, not all perhaps, but some Planned Parenthood locations where abortions are performed, some are performed as ritualistic sacrifices, unbeknownst to perhaps the individual that's undergoing the abortion. 
And people people look at that or hear that and they tend to roll their eyes and say, oh, you're just full of it and this is fake news. Of course, hence, you know, but no. So what we need to do is we need to talk with people with the experience. We need to talk with people who are credible with the experience and, and not just that, but have given that given that lifestyle up or otherwise given their lives over to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ become born again and can talk about it with authority and that is our next guest before we get to our next guest folks texasready.com you know they've got the greatest seed banks in the world have you heard of texasready.net if not you need to look in this time of relative calm at the moment you need to get yourself prepared and part of the preparation a key part is seed kits texasready.net have regionally appropriate open pollinated heirloom seeds in their seed kits and you know most seed banks don't take into account geographic differences they don't have certified seeds well texas ready believes their clients that's you you deserve the best and they provide the best their customers our listeners our viewers are worth it the germination rate on their seeds is outstanding if you don't know how to garden texas ready has several excellent uh, excellent reference books that help you grow plenty of nutrient-dense food starting plants from seedlings and save seeds how to save seeds correctly and protect the genetics so you don't inadvertently create hybrids yourselves and we've met the owners of texas ready listen to bailey she's called the seed lady for good reason because she knows her seeds folks go to texasready.net that's texasready.net do yourself a favor make an investment into seeds the people in power have been doing it Preppers have been doing it. You, please, do it correctly. Go to TexasReady.net. That's TexasReady.net, where they've got 80-plus varieties of vegetables and fruits, including eight dual-purpose herbs for culinary and medicinal purposes. That's TexasReady.net, TexasReady.net. Now, before we bring our guest on, Zachary King, let me just say this. This is this is the eve of the inauguration ladies and gentlemen uh there will be uh, and and uh, i ask for the indulgence of uh, zachary king too because of the fluid uh, situation in washington dc we might have to cut in with some news updates throughout the program and i say that because already it looks like tear gas has been dispersed apparently it's been joe it's been uh, uh, verified uh, via rt uh we're, we're getting in on social networking feeds various social networking feeds on the ground. Stuart Rhodes last hour was talking about attending the deplorable, um, things that are happening outside of the National Press Club at that location. So all of this combined, uh, the fluid nature of the situation we might have to break in and, and, uh, uh, might have to break in and, and interrupt the, uh, process. Uh, interrupt the interview, but hopefully that won't be the case. But we have on with us, or do we have on with us? Okay. Well, let me check. Zachary King, are you there? Yes, sir. Oh, all right. We 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 have you on audio, not on video. We just can't see you, so not sure what. Well, that. I'm not worth looking at, so yeah, it's all right. <laughs> That's okay. Well, first of all, welcome to the Hagman and the Hagman Report. Uh, if you don't mind, uh, can you can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Because I've heard your interviews. Um, 
uh, with Rick Wiles and others, and you've got an amazing story. If you don't mind, uh, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure, but you know, first I'd like to say that uh, it's a pleasure being here. Okay. And I've also noticed that when fake news happens, it's only in reference to the Democrats. Yeah. Only the Democrats get fake news. When Republicans have news, it's always gossip. Isn't that interesting? It's gossip or it's news or it sounds suspicious. We'll have to look into it. But when it's Democrats, it's always fake news. We mean when it's about Democrats, it's always fake news. Or they, they always on the left. Classify because every, every topic that, that comes, like Pizzagate, for example, mm-hmm. fake news. It didn't affect Republicans, so it was fake news. You know, a lot of the stuff that comes out on WikiLeaks, fake news. Well, it's about Hillary Clinton. Oh, it's fake news. She would never do anything like that. It, but if it came out, if it, if it comes out when Trump's in office, you know, it's going to be like, well, we'll have to investigate this further. It's like, really? How come you don't just jump on the fake news bandwagon there? Well, because he's not a Democrat. Yeah. Well, you know, you, 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 I hope we can get into your take on spirit cooking since you brought up Pizzagate. You know, we had talked a lot yesterday about Pizzagate. People think that we, you know, we, we've dropped that subject, anything, anything but dropping it. The, um, in my view anyway, uh, Mr. King, that I'll say this, um, uh, from an investigative point of view, the circumstantial evidence, although nothing can be, is, and I'm not alleging any criminal activity here, let me be clear. But given the level of, and the amount of circumstantial evidence, uh, or circumstantial uh, documentation that's been shown, I certainly believe an investigation is warranted based on what we've seen. Your thoughts? I, I agree, but I also believe that before a real investigation would be launched, probably the principal players will all be dead. Um, and we've already seen, we've already seen a, a key player turn up dead, right? And then the person that would have known how he died, you know, that the the medical examiner died of suspicious causes. You know, like he was poisoned. Good point. And you're talking about Andrew Breitbart in the... Uh, no, where are you? Yes, yes. Breitbart, and, okay. Okay. You know, and I, I I would think that other things would happen like that as well. If you, if the truth started to come to light, more people would have to die so that the truth would not be revealed. Well, you are on the inside of this whole satanic mess, right? I mean... Right, right. You know, I, I don't know if you... Did you ever hear the interview of uh, Hillary Clinton's old bodyguard? You know, he used to say that he would take her out to uh, California for monthly satanic meetings. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of stuff really happens. I mean, I was on, um, I've been on multiple interviews where I've mentioned that, you know, Bohemian Grove is a, a male-only facility, and I'd seen Hillary Clinton there back in 92. He snuck on the grounds to have a conversation with Bill. And she got escorted off by security, but she made it all the way to the inner sanctum of the, of the group. You know, and it's like, she, she wasn't hiding that, I mean, she was wearing like a pantsuit or something, but she still looks like a woman's, you know, as close as we can tell. And, um, you know, she marched her way in like she owned the place. Interesting. Um, Zachary, we can, I want to, we'll get back to, uh, 
if we have time, the you know the pizza gate, what's going on here? If we can start, I'd like to to start with um, your testimony. Uh, I've, I've listened to a few of your interviews, and and you have a a pretty in, interesting and incredible testimony as to how this all began in your life and where it took you. Um, if we can, let's go to the beginning and what interested you or what caught your attention and led you down the path uh, that you went down. Sure. Well, I had watched um, every fantasy science fiction movie that I could, you know, back in the 70s that dealt with magic. And I wanted magic to be real. I wanted, you know, I could see people levitate, which to me, you know, when you're 10 years old, levitation is flying, you know, and I wanted these things to be so true. You know, like bed knobs and broomsticks and bewitched and I dream of genie you know and I wanted magic to be the the greatest thing and to me it was the greatest thing in the world but I wanted it to be real and I talked to my parents and they said no magic wasn't real this wasn't something you could do now remember that there's 33 verses in the Bible that all deal with magic or something magic related but why would the Bible tell you not to do something if it was impossible for you to do and um, so I had watched all these movies, and at 10 years old, my first day of school, this kid came up to me, and he said, um, hey, meet us in the bathroom at the first break. All right. So it was like 10.20 was the first break, and I went in the bathroom. There was 49 other kids crammed into the bathroom, and they said, okay, we're going to turn out the lights in the bathroom, and we're all going to chant Bloody Mary over and over again. And if you do it right, there's a spirit of a burn, a burn victim that will appear in the mirror. And uh, so we did the Bloody Mary chant. All the lights were out. Suddenly we saw this scary face in the mirror. Forty-nine kids ran screaming from the bathroom. One kid, the stupidest one, I've been me, decided that he would stay because, well, that was just cool. I just chanted Bloody Mary a few times and a scary face appeared in the mirror. That's the coolest thing in the world. you know. And I started doing that every day at school. And then there were some kids that got hurt really bad. So they sent notes home stating that if we got caught doing this, we'd be suspended for three days. I didn't want to get suspended for three days, so I started playing it at home, which was even better for me because then I could play it in the morning. When I got home in the afternoon, I could play it again. I could play it at night before I went to bed. If I got up during the night, I could play it again. I could play it all week and on the weekends. And I'm just having so much fun with this. And, you know, at some point, you start to realize maybe this is a magic spell. As well, um, Dungeons and Dragons came out in 1974, and this is 1976. I'm playing campaigns pretty much every weekend, and I'm always like the wizard in that. And after a while, after, you know, doing spells there, and then doing this Bloody Mary thing and realizing, you know, this is probably magic, I had to try a magic spell in real life. I had to see, you know, is this something you can really do? Can I benefit from this? You know, so, and I was thinking, okay. Sorry for interrupting, Mr. King. I just had a question. So while you were doing this, you talked about the letter that was sent home to parents. Did your parents or, or anybody in your family know that you were doing this? No, no. And, and you know, my dad had been uh, a drill sergeant in the Marines, and I was scared of my dad. He was a really big guy. You know, so he called me into the den, and he was like, you know, in his most loving tone, have you ever done this? You know, and I was like, uh, no. You know, I was like, you know, I, I, would, I wouldn't have told him the truth. He could have put a gun to my head and I wouldn't have told him the truth because he'd have pulled the trigger. 
<laughs> you know, he was a he was a scary man. He was big and burly and just gruff. You know, my parents had no idea that I was doing this kind of stuff. And um, you know, uh, kids that you were associated with and friends with who were also doing these things. Uh, I guess I, the, the reason I ask this is because, um, you know, a lot of times uh, you have parents who are overprotective. You have parents who who don't care. And then parents sometimes encourage kids to to do this, and there's you know um, uh, ancestral ties, you know, where Satanism is concerned, and uh, you know families do it together in, in a lot of cases. So I just kind of wanted to understand right. um, what, how you were raised, if that impacted um, you going down uh, this road. I, my parents would have been overly protective had they known that I was not telling the truth. Um, I think they just naturally assumed because they took me to church every Sunday. So they assumed I was a natural, good church-going boy. I was only going to church because they took me. You know, if they'd have said, "Oh, we're not going to church this Sunday," I would not have complained at all. I didn't want to be there. I was just there because I was made to go. So, what initially tra- attracted you to this was the um, capabilities or things that you were able to do that were different from the norm. So it wasn't a desire to be dark or uh, to go down a road of Satanism. It wasn't a desire of, um, well, you know, in the movies, Satan was this really scary guy. He was the bad guy. And I didn't want to be the bad guy. I didn't want to be the uh, Christopher Lee character that was, you know, out to kill whoever he could or do evil things. But, you know, if I could do a few little sleight of hand or say a couple of spells and suddenly I'm worth money or stuff or I have a girlfriend or you know somebody loves me or you know whatever my interpretation of love is at 10 years old um, then I thought that would be cool you know if I could levitate if I could uh, do something and then find gold or um, you know be given something that no one else could get if I could change my grades or suddenly make straight A's but not have to study that would be an awesome thing. So having advantages in the world and in your personal life from worldly or material things was kind of the drive behind what got you going. Oh, absolutely. You know, the same things that, that drive us now, that drive people now to do magic. I mean, uh, power, greed, um, money, um, uh, pride. You know, the reason the devil fell was pride. You know, and that's pretty much every sin we commit today is pride. Absolutely. Um, Mr. King, if you want to continue with your testimony, you were talking about the games that you played and um, the early stages of what led you down the road to becoming a Satanist. Right. So, you know, after doing this magic for so long and, and thinking that this must be what I'm actually doing is magic, you know, I decided that, um, you know, I, I don't want to hurt my teacher. I don't want, I don't like the pop quest quizzes that happen every Friday. But I, I don't want to hurt the teacher. I don't want my PE coach to die. But I would like to do something that proves that magic either works or it doesn't. Because if it doesn't work, I'm wasting my time. And if it does work, then I want to start reaping some of these benefits other than just enjoying a game here and there. And I did a, a spell for money. And the next day I went out and I found a can of tennis balls with a $5 bill in it. And I thought, all right, this is cool. But this could have been a coincidence. Somebody had to find that. So the next Friday, I did the spell again. 
Saturday, I went out and played, and I found a $10 bill on the side of the road. I was like, all right, eight days, $15, we're getting better. But, you know, at this rate, I'm going to nickel and dime my way up to being a millionaire. I need to chew, I need to do something differently. So I went in the bathroom at home, and I did my money spell, and then I stopped it, and I did the Bloody Mary chant. And then when the demonic face showed up, I made sure that the demon knew I was doing a spell for money. And the next day I went out, and I found what looked like Monopoly money rolled up tight in rubber bands. And later that night, when everybody's, you know, everybody's asleep, and I'm under the sheets, got a flashlight in my mouth, and I'm unraveling everything. And it looked like Monopoly money, because I'd never seen a $100 bill. And when I unraveled all the rubber bands, I had 10 $100 bills, and a thousand bucks. And I knew absolutely, positively, that magic was real. And I was going to do this spell every day for the rest of my life. That's very interesting. Um, you, the spells that you were doing, uh, you were obviously young. You talked about, you know, doing the, the Bloody Mary game. Where did you learn how to do spells and differentiate between, you know, a money spell or, uh, at the, at such a young age? Uh, at such a young age, most of the, the, there were books at the library that dealt with, uh, doing spells. And then there were, um, the D&D books, the, the early gaming books had spells in them. And then the Bloody Mary thing was just taught by other kids at the school. Okay. So you got to a point where you understood that what you were doing was, uh, yielding results, positive results for you. Yes. So did that lead you to increase, um, what you were attempting to do? Um, once I learned that magic was real and that, you know, all these things that I was watching on TV for years were true, then I knew that I had power and knowledge that no adult had because all adults said you couldn't do this stuff. And I know that sometimes, as a kid, sometimes adults say stuff and you know they couldn't possibly know everything. You know, they just couldn't. Somebody's got to, somebody's got to have all the information, but you know it's not your parents. And I was convinced of that because they're telling me as well. My Baptist preacher told me that magic wasn't something that could really be done. You know, and here it is. I'm doing magic in real life. So these people are wrong. So I have power and knowledge that they don't have. So I was branching out, trying, you know, new things, new spells, seeing what would work and what wouldn't. Um, you know, I, I continued doing those things, but never did I... Remember, too, that I didn't know that there was stuff in the Bible that told you not to do this stuff. I never thought of myself as evil. I never thought, oh, you know, I'm I'm going over to the dark side now. I didn't realize that it was bad. And that's understandable, um, especially without the knowledge of the scriptures and, um, you know, this is something you're doing alone. You're not, you know, attempting to just, as you said, you know, move to the dark side. It seemed like, uh, from the way you described it, um, you were trying to, to do something different, you know, something you found interesting and kind of went at it alone and found results and which, which probably piqued your interest more. And, um, I mean, I can, I can wrap my head around the progression, uh, how that would work mentally. Now, from the time, uh, you know, doing the, the things with the money and the, the games that you were playing at, at home, how did that transition into actually 
becoming part of a, of a Satanist organization? Well, when I was 11 years old, I was the victim of a sexual assault at school. It was at the hands of a female teacher. And she told me that uh, this was my idea. I wanted to do it. I enjoyed myself. And if I told anybody, I would get in trouble because it was my idea. And I believed, you know, she was an authority figure at school. And obviously, why would she lie to me? So I believed her and I withdrew further into myself. And the only thing that gave me more comfort and solace was to do magic. When I was 12 years old, um, a kid that I used to play D&D with came back to our D&D group, and we thought he had moved away. And it turned out that the kid was a satanic recruiter. We didn't know that. And, and I wouldn't have even believe that at 12 years old. I mean, you're telling me a 12-year-old kid is coming back to my my group to recruit me for the devil? I, I just That's not something you could have gotten me to buy into. And he told me about this group that plays D&D every weekend, and they think that magic is real. Well, I play D&D every weekend, and I know magic is real. So I thought, I'm going to go check these guys out. And they've got a huge house on the good section of town. They've got an in-ground swimming pool. They have an in-ground barbecue pit. Not only do they have the in-ground barbecue pit, but you can, any night that you want barbecue, they'll just go out there and, you know, fire up the grill and, and make you something. You know, at my house, you can have three meals a day and a snack if mom's in a good mood. Over here, you can have snacks all day long. You know, if you wanted to have Snicker bars for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you could do that. You know, so whatever you want, you can overindulge in anything. There's no such thing as overindulging. You know, I loved, I was just getting into rock and roll. You know, I, in 1978, which is, I was 12 years old, Kiss was like the biggest band in the world. And they had autographed guitars, autographed photos, autographed posters, albums, movie posters, um, thousands of movies. Uh, you know, at my house, I could watch a G-rated movies, so I watched lots of Disney. But I found out being there that they had G-rate or G uh, PG-rated movies, movies rated GP, which was really strange. We don't have that now. Uh, R-rated movies, X-rated movies, triple X-rated movies, triple X-rated movies with kids in at my age. And they told me that you know what was stolen from me when I was 11 was horrible, and that should have never happened to me. But now it was my chance to get my power back. Another lie that Satan sells us, because none of us have power. But now is my, I lost my power, and now I can get it back. And no one can tell me no. I can tell anybody else no. I can have sex with anybody I want to, and they'll even film it. So I can watch these things anytime I want. So I'm being re-victimized every weekend. But I don't realize that. I think I'm the luckiest boy in the world, because I get to have sex now anytime I want. And this was a principal player, this entire event. This was a satanic coven, but I didn't know that. I thought it was just a fun group that got together and did stuff. Yeah, that's very, that's very interesting. Um, uh, and it's interesting, you know, how you describe that, how that happens. Uh, you know, you experiencing that the sexual assault and, and being interested in magic, and then all of a sudden uh, a person with, I guess you'd call it, say the right, uh, satanic connections comes into your life, brings you into an environment that um, you would enjoy because, as you said, you uh, you know at home you had restrictions and and you know do's and don'ts. And when you go to this other place, um, not only are they telling you to take your power back and get your power back, but uh, basically have free reign 
to have fun and do what you want. That's basically every kid's dream for the most part and teenager's dream. So, um, right. And it's very, um, uh, seductive, if you will, for, for the mind of a, a younger person, um, to, to have those. Yeah, you know, also, you know, this is 1978, so there's no internet. There's no place to look stuff up like this. Mm-hmm. You know, if you went to the library and you, you know, there was also the, you had to be cautious as a 12 year old because, you know, you know, if you're at the library and you're looking up certain sections of books, librarian will come over. She has the entire library memorized. She knows what you're looking at and she'll tell you not to look in that section. That's bad. You shouldn't, you know, care about those kind of subjects, you know, because back then adults would kind of like, you know, look out after you. Now it's like the opposite of that. You know, it's like there's no restrictions on so many uh, computers, and we can look up anything we want. Yeah, uh, times have definitely changed, and the Internet um, can be used for for gathering knowledge and intelligence, or it can be used to uh, further each and every individual's own um, paranoia and delusion. It's all a matter of how you use it. Folks, we're talking with Zachary King, go to his website, allsaintsministry.org. That's all saint, allsaintsministry.org. He's going to be with us, uh, for the next three segments till the end of the show. And we're going to continue to hear his testimony and, and, um, from, from becoming a Satanist at 13 years old and through his whole experience, uh, and what happened there to, um, being saved. So we're going to be right back with Zachary King to get into this more right after this short message. Just stay with us. this edition of the Hagman and the Hagman Reporter guest is Zachary King on this eve before the inauguration just to let people know folks we're going to be live from 11 to 2 tomorrow covering the uh, events of the inauguration uh, right here on YouTube live just uh, feel free to pop in uh, we're going to be covering the what the what goings on there uh, with respect to what we believe is perhaps one of the most uh, significant events, uh, in significant presidential transitions in modern history, and that's because of the anarchists and the uh, communist infiltration. You heard Stuart Rhodes earlier, uh, but just to remind everyone: eleven Eastern, eleven a.m. Eastern, two p.m. Eastern, live. I'll be here now, uh, Zachary. Zachary King is our guest. Before we get back to Zachary, folks, let me ask you a question. If you are, are you prepped? If you're not, you should be. One of the preps, the most important preps you need to have, is a unit to cook your food on that does not rely on fuel because fuel is expendable. You need something. Well, you need the Minuteman rocket stove. It operates. It, it's use it. Just takes a little bit of wood, about a tenth of what. A normal fire would take. It's directed. Um, the heat is directed to an area, a cooktop area. It gets as hot as a conventional stove would. Yet you can set it on a picnic table because the outside only reaches about 200 degrees in temperature. You'll notice it creates 
When used efficiently, it creates hardly any smoke whatsoever if giving away your location and or smoke bothers you. The Minuteman stove is self-contained. It seals airtight for travel and storage. It's the only self-contained rocket stove on the market. It's a 50 caliber ammo can design. Features a lid that has got a rubber seal and a carry handle. It weighs about 14 pounds, and it is an absolute necessity for your preps. This is the Cadillac of rocket stoves. Don't go anywhere else. Don't buy anything else. Minutemanstove.com. That's Minutemanstove.com. When you go there, check out their array of fire starters. You, you've got to check this out. Spend some time at the website, MinutemanStove.com. That's MinutemanStove.com. I'm going to turn it back over to Joe. Our guest uh, this evening is Zachary King. If you want to visit his website, you go to AllSaintsMinistry.org. That's AllSaintsMinistry.org. And um, we were talking before the break, Zachary, of the transition from uh, performing magic to being recruited by a person who was your age, I think he said 12 years old at the time, um, to being recruited into this uh, satanic coven by the age of 13. Yeah, so I was, um, I, a kid told me, another kid in the, in the coven told me that I was a member of a satanic coven, and I just laughed it off. And then a couple of days later, because it kind of bothered me, uh, I went up to one of the adults I trusted and I was like hey you know you're going to laugh but uh, I heard this was a satanic coven and I was waiting for him to just bust a cut and he just looked at me very serious and he said it is and you know my heart dropped into my stomach and I was like am I a member and he said no would you like to be and you know I associated not being a member with losing my privileges I mean like I I get drunk almost every day and at this time I think you have to be 19 to buy booze you know and I'm 12 you know um, I'm taking illegal drugs every day that I don't know where to get I'm looking at pornography every day which you have to be 18 to buy I'm smoking cigarettes every day which you got to be 18 to buy and you know I'm having sex every weekend you know and if I quit my coven I'm not going to get any of these things anymore so you know I was absolutely like um yeah, I'd love to be a member. And he goes, well, you know, if you join, you'll have even more fun. So, at, you know, I asked, you know, what, how many steps are there? What do I have to do? And I was told there were 13 steps, and I'd done almost everything already. Uh, what I had left to do was slice my left thumb, bleed onto a document, and sign it in three places in my own blood. The blood of Jesus washes away all sin, but not mine. Jesus died for everyone, but not me. And on the final page, I sell my soul to the devil. I gotta tell you that it's impossible to sell your soul to the devil because you can't sell what you don't own. But at 13 years old, you're not the sharpest tack. So, I believe that I had sold my soul. Then uh, you come into a room and my entire coven was there. They were present for this. Uh, I was wearing a white robe, signifying that I was losing my innocence. I was baptized, full submersion in a vat of human blood, pig's blood, and human urine. Uh, I come out, go into another room and take a shower and change into a black robe, signifying I've been baptized into a world of evil. Uh, I sit on a chair and I'm given a crucifix inside of a wheel 
I read off the document I signed the night before. I show them my thumb to show that it's my thumb that I cut and it's my blood. Then I spin the crucifix upside down, signifying human sacrifice, and I break the arms downward, signifying denouncing Christ. And what you're left with, if you've got any imagination at all, is a peace sign. They then take your uh, document you signed and intertwine it with this. They say that that gets forever locked in a vault and is forever tied to your soul. And then you have a party celebrating that you're now a Satanist. The reality of the party is that you're celebrating that one day you're going to die and go to hell. So when you, um, the the progression from um, understanding it was a satanic coven to becoming a member, you talked about the uh, thought about losing uh, the privileges or, or what you were able to do. Were there any, when you were informed that it was a satanic coven and, and you could become a member, were there any spiritual thoughts that went through your mind um, since you were somebody who was atten- attended church uh, with your family or was that more well, of, uh, not a concern it, my church I attended the Baptist I attended a southern Baptist church my parents um, I like to say that they were devout Baptists that means that they never went to church they took me and my brother every Sunday I the only day I ever saw my parents in church was the day I got baptized when I was 11 so I never saw them in church before that or after that. Um, you know, so it wasn't like a, a solid church-going family. My brother liked church. I did. To me, it was a chore. So finding out that um, at my Baptist church, uh, Jesus defeated the devil 2,000 years ago on the cross. Therefore, the devil is no threat to us now. And the devil is afraid of the Baptist church. So what that really means, what that really equates to, because if that's what a church thinks, is that the devil can attack them all day long, and they'll never believe it's the devil. So he can just, you know, he mm-hmm. can just attack them as much as he wants, because they'll never believe who it is that's really attacking them. They'll just think they're having bad luck, or that's just the way life is, and these things just happen. You know, which I imagine was a lot of the things that happened there. But... You know, the realities of what was happening in my, my Southern Baptist church, we had 12 deacons. 11 of my deacons were Freemasons in town. Those same, same 11 deacons were also members of my Satanic Coven. Sadly, that's how it uh, works sometimes. Um, if I can just interject one thing here, and, and, and thank you, Zachary King, for your indulgence here, for indulging me. I just want to let our listeners know we are monitoring multiple feeds from New York City, Washington, D.C., and then one general feed elsewhere. Um, we know that this is the eve of the inauguration. We know there are multiple uh, dis- disturbances planned. Um, we see things happening in New York City. We see things happening in Washington, D.C. Um, if there is anything of significance, you, you know, you can, you've got a choice. You can listen to this program where you have are you're getting some really interesting relevant information and the, the information that uh Zachary King will be providing about current day events to me you know you can't get any better uh than this because he is he's been there he's done it he's got the proverbial t-shirt so uh we'll 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 keep an eye on things for you you don't have to change the dial you don't have to change the channel if anything does happen we'll interrupt and i just i 
just want to let everyone know and reassure everyone that we got you covered. But in the meantime, a fascinating story by Zachary King, former Satanist. And uh, it's going to be interesting, too, to, to bring all of this together next hour. Um, I'm so interested in, in the progression of this interview. As you're interviewing him, uh, Joe, the progression of this is just fantastic. So go ahead and continue. I just wanted to reassure our, our viewers and listeners that we're on top of things here. All right. Sure. So we were talking about the... Yeah, Becoming a member of of the Satanic Coven, and not only that, we just mentioned uh, what we were talking. The last thing you said is how eleven out of twelve deacons in your Baptist church were not only Freemasons but also members of the Satanic Coven as well. And I was commenting on how um, that's a lot more common than people think. You know, one of the uh, main things that that uh, the kingdom of darkness will do is infiltrate churches and not only that they manage to find their ways into positions of power in those churches for different reasons for abuse or for uh, you know to drive people away and it's interesting you mentioned the, the baptist church you went to believe that the devil was defeated um, and it, it just marvels my mind how a church uh, that's supposed to be bible based can err so far away from scripture uh, that, that's just amazing I, I think I think on you know if you if you look at the they had some of the basics correct I mean the devil is defeated and he was defeated by Jesus on the cross and you know eventually you know the ones of us that are believers are going to find ourselves in heaven but you know the, the devil's still allowed to get in quite a few licks and he still leads a lot of us astray and he still does a lot of satanic attack every day around the world mm-hmm. you know and you know it, it's just certain certain people get these ideas in their head and you know you can't convince them otherwise that it, that it should go a different way or that it might not even that it might go a different way than what they believe you know they think that absolutely this is how it is this is how it's written in stone and and you know it'll never change from this and because they don't have the flexibility to look at the situation and think, wait a minute, maybe that's not exactly correct. Because my cousin, for example, my cousin believes that all, all the tribulation, all the attack on the church will happen after we all get lifted up and the rapture happens and we all go away. I said, okay, if that's true, then what's happening to the three million Christians around the world that are being killed by ISIS, ISIL, North Korea, and China? That you can't just explain that way. You know, it's like they're going through their tribulation now. You know, and, and he's like, oh, well, I guess I'll have to rethink that. Well, now that he's rethought it, he comes back and he says, you know, those people must not be Christians. Like, okay, so it's normal people that are dying. It's non-Christians that are dying at the hands of people that think they're Christians, so they're killing them anyway. Your argument's not holding any water. But he's able to make that argument because that goes against what he believes. Yeah, and two scriptures come to mind. One is um, about not being ignorant about the devil's devices. And the second one is uh, where it says that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. It does not say that there won't be uh, attempts and, and disruptions and weapons formed against you. you you're going to have to go through some things sometimes, but uh, if you hold strong to your faith, you'll be okay. But you're still going to have to go right. through those and, and walk those things out. 
and um, to to just completely disregard um, the devil's ability to disrupt and, and cause trouble in the lives of believers and non-believers uh, is something I hope people uh, hear and recognize and take a closer look at if you believe it can't happen. So back to your testimony, you uh, the lot one of the, where you left off was the ritual, uh, your induction into the satanic coven. Um, anything change majorly after that? Uh, after your becoming um, a satanist, I, I I got to to learn not just my own uh, magic, but I got to learn like everybody in the coven did magic at that time, and I got to learn how they did uh, their spells and things. Um, when I was uh, fourteen, I was told that there was going to be a sex party at a female coven member's house the female coven member was like over 18 or 19 and this would be like all the males like 12 to 15 years old and you know and the purpose was to get this woman pregnant and then we were going to do an abortion like nine months later and I said cool and I went home because I had to look up the word abortion I had no idea what that meant and you know I, I looked it up in the dictionary at home and there was no the word abortion wasn't in there and I went to the library and they had like two or three books on abortion and they're all like two or three inches thick. <laughs> 14 years old. And I, if I could possibly get away with something like Cliff Notes, I would do it. So I'm not going to read a huge book to tell me what that is. I went back to my coven and I said, Hey, you know, I heard I've got to participate in an abortion, but I don't know what that is. I don't know what that means. And the guy said, Oh, you're going to kill a baby in the womb. And again, you know, I was just flabbergasted. Use one of my dad's favorite words. I was flabbergasted. You know, and I was like, is that legal? He was like, oh, yeah. In the womb, legal, out of the womb, murder. So I participated in my first assisted abortion when I was about three months prior to turning 15. Um, we have, for every assisted abortion I ever participated in, we had a law firm. I did this in multiple cults. So multiple law firms that have us completely covered where everything we're doing is above board. It's legal. Whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait a second. If I, can, if I can interrupt you. Sure. Just, I gotta wrap my head around this. You had a law firm covering you legally? I mean, I guess I'm just incredulous. You don't even have to answer that. That was more like a rhetorical holy, you know what? <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so this was a normal you know, practice. Everything that everything that my coven did, uh, greatly immoral and incredibly unethical, but a lot of it legal. You know, we had um, at one of the at the kitty porn shoots that I was at, and I was about twelve. There was a girl there that was. Uh, I don't know how to say this, and it'd be nice. She was having sex with a lot of men, one right after another. She was about 11 years old, maybe 12. And she didn't speak a word of English. As far as I know, she didn't even speak any words that we speak in the, in the United States. So she's not, clearly she's not American. But she is having sex with one man after another. And then eventually, after so many men she got to take a syringe in the arm. And I found out later she was doing heroin. Well, she OD'd while, while doing that. And she died. 
as she's dying, other men are still coming in that room. And after she's dead, there's still other men coming in that room. And then a guy that looks just like a cop, he's wearing the, the, he looks like a sheriff deputy. He's wearing a green uniform and a gun belt. And it says the name of the, the county, I think. I don't remember the name of the county, but it was on his arm. He came in, threw her over his shoulder and says, I'll take care of this. And walks out the door with her. Puts her in the back of his patrol car and drives away. And to me, what that taught me is that there's no one I can tell. I certainly can't tell my parents because they'll stop me from doing this stuff. But um, the first abortion I performed was because um, a guy that was a mayor in his town, it wasn't in my town, but a mayor in his town, was trying to pass a law, and he couldn't get it passed legally. So he contacted our coven to see if he could get an abortion done, to see if he could move whatever this law was to move it in onto the books. You know, so it's like, okay, so you can't trust the mayor. You know, here it is. We just had a sheriff's deputy pick, put a dead body of a girl in the backseat of his car and drive off with her. You can't trust law enforcement. You know, so, and, and then, yes, we did, and we had law firms that covered us to make sure that we did most things above board. So, you know, I, I just assumed that everybody knew what we were doing. You know, wow. somehow we were, everything was, Almost like a secret, but out in the open. Yeah, f- folks, I had uh, run into some of this. Obviously, you just heard about a um, what a possibly a sheriff's deputy or a law enforcement officer. In my book, Stained by Blood, I had run into this back in 1987, and I talk about this in a parallel investigation in the murder of my uncle, running into the satanic pedophile ring, and. Um, here it is. I mean, and it's interesting because I got a couple of emails and I saw a couple of bloggers say, oh, that was a bunch of, you know, BS. But but here it is, our guest, uh, Zachary King, living it, living it. Uh, this is horrific stuff. And you're right. Who do you turn to when when everyone's apparently involved in this? Wow. Yeah, and, and you know, and looking at it from from a young child's perspective, I'm looking at it as okay. There were members of teachers at my school were involved in my satanic coven. Deacons at my church are involved in my satanic coven. Um, members of the youth center, people that worked at the swimming pool, the the, the town swimming pool, uh, law enforcement, the mayor. Um, it stretched. Like, to me, it was, there's nowhere I could go where I could say, hey, um, I kind of like to say something that's a secret, and I don't want to get in trouble, but this is what's going on. I had no recourse, no place I could go and say something like that. So not only am I, I am enjoying a lot of the things that I'm doing, but I'm also living with a lot of secrets that I don't want. I saw things that I didn't want to see. You know, I've, I've still got memories of things I wish I didn't have. How, how long ago was this? Give me a, like a year, decade, um, year kind of thing. When well, I turned ten in 1976. Right. Um, I officially joined my coven when I was 13. That was my first coven. I joined my second coven when I was 18. I'm 50 now. All right. So we're looking at the, uh, interestingly enough, the same time frame. 
as I write about in my book, but uh, um, late seventies, early eighties, initially, yeah. anyway. Uh, Mr. King, before the before the, we close out the hour here in about five minutes, I just want to ask you: um, can can we talk in the next hour at some point? Um, I, I'd love to get your thoughts on PizzaGate. What's known as Pizzagate, which, which is a bad term in my view, on, on the satanic ritual abuse sacrifices and what I see taking place inside the powers, the halls of power in DC and elsewhere. Would you, do you feel comfortable, you know, sure. talking about that? Okay. Yeah, from your right. experience. Yeah, from, yeah, from, from an insider's experience. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, I just want to make sure that, cause I'm kind of thinking in my head, Thinking ahead in my head. What do you think, folks? Pretty cool, right? Um, because there's so much, uh, blowback. We're getting a lot of blow. I gotta tell you, Mr. King, we're getting a lot of blowback from this. The more we investigate this kind of satanic ritual abuse and child trafficking and the pedophilia, we are getting so much, um, I'll just say blowback. But I guess that wouldn't surprise you, would it? You know, one of the one of the crazier things was when this when this story for when Pizzagate almost when they first broke. I mean, it'd probably been out for about a month, and you know, and the first thing you heard was, "Well, fake news, fake news. This kind of stuff doesn't really happen. Those pedophile rings, that's a false story. Um, you know, it's like SRA. That stuff doesn't really happen." And right around that same time. There was a pornography, a child pornography and pedophile ring busted in Toronto. And they arrested 375 adult pedophiles and rescued 400 children from this ring. And it's like, really? So it's... Yeah, there was another one in Europe also. Um, And and, and, and you're not getting any coverage. Right, right. And, And that's been going on. That one's been going on for a year. And almost nobody over here has heard about it. Mm-hmm. I, I think the biggest shock is going to be when they find out that a bunch of all this stuff is connected. Absolutely. And when we, yeah, that's we're, right. We're closing out this hour. We got about uh, two minutes left. But um, before we go back to your testimony, because I, I want to get into this into the abortions, because um, I got uh, some questions about that. So we'll we'll do that after we come back from the break. The there seems to be um, some kind of protection or shielding of these people and their evil activities um, as, and even you know, protection from the media as we just you just pointed out from the, the Pizzagate how much of that is due to the nature of what, what is they're involved in protection from you know um, satanic spirits and demons uh, whatever you want to call them versus uh, how much of it is due to the people who are involved in their, their positions of power, or is it a little bit of both? I think it's a little bit of both, as well as it's, um, you know, I, I mentioned in a in another interview that, you know, when, when a Republican has a scandal, it like if, when a Republican is caught in a lie, for example, um, it's a big deal because he has morals. But when a Democrat is caught in a lie, well, they don't say they tell the truth. So when you catch them lying, it's like, well, this is what they do. So it doesn't seem to be as big of a scandal. And it seems to be where that if no matter what President Obama has done, 
no matter what it is. It doesn't seem to ever matter. But if any of our Republican presidents did even a temper, you know, a tenth of what they have done on the bad scale, it would be all over the news, like as the worst possible thing that could ever happen. No, you're and exactly just, right. I mean, it's um, it's amazing to see the level of scrutiny uh, and then the lack of scrutiny from the two sides, and the Democrats are notorious for this. You know, they they'll be guilty of something, and they'll even blame their opponents for being guilty of what they're guilty for, but they never seem to get uh, have to take any accountability or responsibility. And it's um, laughable that we've gotten to a point where it's very laughable. Folks, you're listening to the Hagman and Hagman Report with our guest, Zachary King, his website, allsaintsministry.org. He'll be with us in through the next hour, so stay with us. Don't go anywhere. Reporter, very special guest, Zachary King. You know, you talk about uh, going right to the source, uh, it, uh, the first person eyewitness involved in uh, such things as, uh, well, Satanism. But now, of course, he's dedicated his life to uh, Jesus Christ, and he's, but but he, but but he's here to tell us about his what it was really like. And, you know, some Christians need to really understand that this stuff is real. And, and it's interesting from the mail that we get saying that, wait a minute, um, you don't, you shouldn't be talking about this. And, and you know, it, it amazes me that there are, and I don't want to sound disparaging or seem insulting, but there are Christians who uh, have denounced us and said, you know, you, you were horrible people for even broaching subjects like this and how, how dare you pollute the minds of of Christians well you know um, I'm just going to stop there but understand this is the kind of email that we do get having said that to you now before we get to our guest uh, two announcements number one understand we've got multiple feeds across the uh, studio that we're watching from New York from Washington if anything does happen, folks, we'll let you know. But it's kind of like watching Meet the Press in certain cases. Yeah, there are some little things going on here and there. But otherwise, if you like to watch, you know, uh, Paint Dry or Meet the Press, whatever, that's kind of the way it is at the moment. Uh, that's Again, that's not to say there aren't little dust-ups here and there. But if there's anything, we'll break in with, the, with you know, uh, asking... Uh, our guest for the indulgence of, of that, and again before we get to, back to Mister uh, Mister King, is just providing some fantastic, riveting information. I want to mention that T. C. Joseph, this generation series of novels, is just selling great guns. My goodness, as well it should, folks. T. C. Joseph is a talented, gifted writer. He's also a nice guy. <laughs> But he's written a series of novels. Book one is Precipice, book two is Pentecost, and book three is Penance. If you, you know, if you've watched 
Josh Tolley's videos, you'll see his books on his bookshelf behind Josh Tolley. I like to look at that when I look at people, uh, watch their videos, see what's on their bookshelf. But this generation series of novels, it's a, it's a thrilling series. T.C. Joseph takes us into the lives of three families in a world where conspiracy theories and Bible prophecies collide. He takes us through recent history to the events that are just happening now. He's got a witty style and fascinating character development. It provides just a great read, and it can, you know, his novels can be used as tools as well to those who don't want to read real stuff. They, they prefer fiction. Well, readers of end time fiction will be hard pressed to find it done more intriguingly than this. That's according to Kirkus Reviews, Blue Ink Reviews, both great, astounding, glowing reviews. Get your copies of T.C. Joseph's This Generation series on Amazon.com today. Again, book one, Precipice, book two, Pentecost, and now three is Penance. Get them all. That's T.C. Joseph, ThisGenerationSeries.com. That's ThisGenerationSeries.com or on Amazon. ThisGenerationSeries.com or on Amazon. Our guest is Zachary King. Before the break, we were talking, uh, we were just getting into um, the part of your story that deals with the abortions. And if we can pick up uh, right there where, where we left off, um, you talked about one of your first uh, rituals that involved an abortion was right before you turned 15. And you talked about the uh, having the lawyers and it being legal to perform it if the baby's in the womb and murder if the baby was not in the womb. And was this something that was a, a regular practice for your satanic coven? It was fairly regular for, for my coven, but this was my very first one. Uh, I kind of heard that these things happened. They were associated with a spell that's called a hex. Um, this was like if you abs- absolutely positively wanted the spell to take place, then you needed to have this hex done, but I didn't know what was involved, and I found out that that an abortion is what's involved. Um, The girl is giving up her baby willingly. She knows why she's getting pregnant, and she's totally on board with having the abortion. Um, I was the only, oh, let's see, I was the only male that was as young as I was in the room. For the most part, it was all adults, that there were some there were like 50 women nude, kneeling on the floor, swaying back and forth, chanting our bodies ourselves. Um, and some of those women were, were under 18. Most of them were, were of legal age, all the way up to probably about 60. And then we had uh, 13 high priests and priestesses that were surrounding uh, the woman that was giving up her baby, and they were going to read off the spell. There were people there that were chanting or saying, muttering spells under their breath or chanting something, which almost sounded like a song. And then uh, there was an abortion doctor, an abortion nurse. Uh, this took place in a, a farmhouse that was more sterile than most abortion clinics that have been in um, afterwards. And, um, you know, we did the, the everything started just prior to midnight. Uh, midnight is considered the witching hour. Uh, 3 a.m. is considered the devil's hour. Uh, the ritual was probably completely finished at 3.15. And, you know, after that, um, I, I don't know how much 
how graphic you want the story to get. I mean, I could just tell you that a, a baby was aborted. You know, that's that's the clean version of the story. Well, I, I think no, no. I mean, you don't you don't have to get too graphic, but but give us the uh, give us the facts. I mean, um, as best you can. The understanding that we're we adhere to FCC guidelines. So, um, but but I mean, was there cannibalism involved? Uh, you, you know, yes. Okay. Yes, there, there was. Um, I, my job as the um, the magic practitioner, the main magic practitioner at the event. I have to get blood on my hands. Uh, and I can be the woman's blood or the baby's blood. I had been practicing with like a ball of Play-Doh or an apple or an orange and a scalpel. But I really didn't know what I was doing. And when it came time for me to insert my hands and do something, I had no idea what I was doing. I was so nervous. My legs were like spaghetti. I had like, like no blood left in my system. It was all adrenaline. And I was really scared, and I was like almost looking at everything third person. I pulled my hands out, and they were bloody, but I don't think they were from the from the baby. And then the the doctor uh, inserted a tube, and then some uh, some other stuff. I wasn't even really. I was just my head was swimming. I was kind of watching what he was doing, but you know, being 14 years old and him being an older man and a doctor, knowing exactly what he's doing. It was all really kind of fascinating to me. And then he inserted what looked like scissors, but with a curved portion that was like tongs with teeth. And he reached in and tore the baby out uh, bit by bit and threw it to the women that were on the floor. And they cannibalized uh, everything but the bones. And then uh, afterwards there was... um, uh, uh, just a big sex orgy there and then you know that ended and uh, when that was over I was able to sneak back home and I got home just about in time for my parents to wake up me and my brother so we could go to church on time it's a Ooh. pretty horrific story yeah it is alright so uh, 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 how many of these was that the only time or did you I mean was this tell me again multiple times that, that, my, that was my first one as uh, probably between then and turning 18 I think I did a total of about five and then when I became when I was 18 I joined another coven when I was 21 I became uh, the position I achieved was what's called a high wizard and as a high wizard, I did an additional 141 of them. So I did 146 total. Yeah. And folks, on All Saints Ministry website, Abortion as a Satanic Sacrifice CD is now available. Um, and if we, yeah, let's expand on that because uh, we were talking about this just the other day. Uh, obviously, the abortions done in ritualistic fashion in, inside uh, satanic groups are sacrifices to Satan. But I would argue that every abortion is is a ritual and, and set up to be a sacrifice to Satan. Is, is that um, what would your opinion on that? Um, in my opinion, yes. I mean, we have a CD set how it called abortion as a satanic sacrifice. You know, uh, part one, we talk about how we got abortion in America. Uh, part two is what organizations um, 
I worked with personally to move Satan's agenda forward for abortion. And part three, we tell you through spiritual warfare how to shut down an abortion clinic. And we give you examples of where these, these, um, the spiritual warfare has worked. You know, uh, we give you like one example, like, you know, we give you four, four things that will shut one down and then, um, an example to go with each one and then of where it has worked. And then we tell you about an organization that does all four things and they've shut down 27 abortion clinics. And, um, if abortion wasn't spiritual warfare, then fighting against it with spiritual warfare wouldn't do anything. You know, the reason we haven't, the reason we haven't stopped spiritual warfare is because we're fighting in a spiritual battle, but we're doing it physically. You know, like every year we write more laws, every year we send, you know, like the March for Life is coming up this year, like January 27th. You know, we're probably going to send another 600,000 people to March. And the satanic side sends like 25 people at a time. So like, well, there's no reason for them to really send anybody. Abortion's legal. You know, the, the, the really crazy thing is that I asked my brother, I was like, do you know how long Planned Parenthood's been open? And he figured, well, the, you know, the abortions were legal in this country in 1973, so he guess they've been open around since 1973. And I said, well, last year they celebrated being open for 100 years. You know, they saw the writing on the wall way before we saw it. And we did know, not have abortion in this country for almost 200 years. And now once it's gone, you just can't seem to stop it. And it's because we don't fight the right way. We're fighting a spiritual battle physically. So, I mean, I absolutely believe. And at night, every night, between midnight and three, a black mass takes about 45 minutes. Um, a shorter, a shorter black mass takes about 20 minutes. But an extended black mass is three hours. They start at midnight, they end at three. Again, you know, the witching hour and the devil's hour. And they dedicate all, now this is in every time zone around the world, they dedicate all the aborted babies of that day to the devil. It doesn't matter if you went there because you can't afford the baby or because you're a partier and this, you know, eats into your partying lifestyle. Or if you did it because you know it's a sacrifice to the devil. The devil takes it serious no matter why you kill the baby. Yeah, that's, um, right. I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense. And you talked about the Planned Parenthood being open for about a hundred years or a hundred years. As you said, they celebrated their anniversary. It's interesting. Even today, even at everybody should know what, you know, what is an abortion, what Planned Parenthood does. It's even the media, going back to the media, protecting um, institutions and people that they absolutely have no business protecting and should be exposing, protects Planned Parenthood, repackaging it as women's reproductive health rights, and then try to minimize the amount of abortions that are done there by saying, you know, most of the business is uh, checking for cancer and doing, you know, other types of screening. Uh, but in reality, I, I believe Planned Parenthood and, and its power comes from, you know, being the provider of, of abortions. Well, if I can ask, were you ever were you ever on premise at a Planned Parenthood facility uh, in the for the purpose you, of the, the ritual? Yes. You're going to find this this answer amusing. My attorney has instructed me to say no. 
Okay, your attorney I has instructed you to say, I'm sorry, you cut out there. Uh, my, my attorney has instructed me to say no. Um, I will say that I have done 20 abortions at abortion clinics. And okay. that it was a major abortion provider. Legally, that's what I'm allowed to say. And um, the other, and 26 were done either in private homes or in doctors' offices. When you were not at the the private homes or doctors' offices, well, I guess even when you were either place uh, or all places, were there medical doctors at each uh, abortion? Yes. Yes, there was always um, uh, like an, an actual abortion doctor there. Uh, nurses. Full, uh, full equipment, full medical equipment. You know, if anything went wrong, there would be somebody there to take care of you. It wasn't just, you know, uh, a few, a handful of wacko occultists, you know, doing an abortion. And if something goes wrong, oops, we'll, we'll just bury the bodies and everything will be okay. You know, it wasn't done like that. There was even, if you were trying to do an abortion and it went wrong and the baby lived, there would be an adoption attorney there and a nurse that would take care of baby and get it adopted out and the way you describe that's interesting because the you, you talk about um the uh child pornography aspect of of the coven which is completely illegal you know there's no protecting yourself from that in a court of law or you know from any uh, honest law enforcement person but the sticking right. to legal the sticking to the laws of the country for the purposes of conducting um, you know, abortions or whatever. How is that reconciled where certain things outside of the law were okay to do, but you know, you have to be, keep everything in, in the legal, uh, parameters when doing these things? Was that ever talked about or brought up? No, it was just, um, I think they were looking at, um, if you're going to do something illegal like murder, because, you know, I would imagine back, you know, when I was doing the child pornography stuff, I was a child. You know, they were looking at it like, well, you know, if you're caught, you're not going to be executed. But if you're caught murdering, murdering somebody, you are going to be executed. So, you know, figuring that usually if you're going to be charged, you're going to be charged with the worst crimes possible. So, you know, I think they looked at a lot of things like, well, you know, murder is a serious charge, but pedophilia wouldn't be that bad. Hence the change in the law recently, um, shall I say, where the law uh, decriminalized the participant in a pedophilia video that would be underage. There's no question there. I I mean, that's not a question. That's building off what you said. uh, Now, I asked you the question about the Planned Parenthood facility, which you replied your attorney instructed you to say no. Fine. But however, you did amend that statement uh, with a by stating that you were at the abortion facilities, plural. Right. Okay. Now, can, may I ask, was it more than one city, and can you identify the cities? Um, I have been, for all 146, I have been the majority of them were in the United States. Uh, I have done, I've done two or three in Germany, uh, and that was all around the same the same place. 
I just don't remember where I was. And I was 22 years old and I'm 50 now. Um, in the United States, I've done them, um, almost in all states. Um, I know I've done some in Kansas. I've done some in Louisiana, uh, Texas, New York, California, and Florida. And then pretty much every point in between, but those were the states that I did stuff in the most. Can, can, can you tell us who paid your travel expenses? I mean, I... Um, the, the majority of the stuff that happens when you're a high wizard, you work for the coven. And the coven, I joined this coven in 1987. I was a high wizard around, let me see, I joined it, I joined it in like 84 or 85. In 87, I was made the high wizard. And, I know back in 1989, they did a, like a census to find out how many members they had around the world. And in 1989, they had 1.1 million members worldwide. So, you know, it's not just all poor people. It's not just a bunch of blue-faced kids out in a cemetery playing with a Ouija board, you know, that belong to a satanic coven. So, um, you know, Satan's rich. God is wealthy. Satan's rich. Isn't that interesting? Wow. Wow. uh, And... You know, so all the stuff that I did, I mean, I flew on a lot of private airplanes. There was a while I got to fly from country to country, and I didn't even have a passport. And, and, and it wasn't... And, and I like it to, was, Yeah, I'd like to expand on that. I mean, okay, right there. You're, you're ta- Then, obviously, we're talking about uh, you... I don't know how much you can say on this, but are we talking about flying with politicians, people in power, uh, that, kind of, that kind of personnel, or that kind of... Uh, um, I did I did spells for kings and queens, diplomats, presidents, rock stars, actors. If anybody had money, now I didn't get paid this money. My coven got paid the money, but you know I'd still be given favors or be given gifts. And you know I have flown. I don't remember the name of the country. It's tiny and it's like in the middle of nowhere. And they have a king that's over it. And I got to go there uh, multiple times just because they wanted somebody that could practice magic that didn't already live there. They could possibly get some stuff done that they wanted to get done. And, you know, it's supposed to be like a lot of the countries I go to are supposed to be poor. And yet they could afford to give my coven like a few hundred thousand or even a few million dollars to do things. So, you know, even countries that claim to be poor got to have money somewhere. You know, and, and it, it, it speaks to how widespread uh, this is in our in our nation and in our world. And can, can, the network is... Can I ask, have you met Tony or John Podesta in person, Hillary Clinton <laughs> or Bill Clinton or Jeffrey Epstein? Are you allowed to answer those questions? I, I met uh, Bill Clinton in 1992 at Bohemian Grove. I was having lunch with him at Bohemian Grove when Hillary came up. And I did not know who Hillary Clinton was. I I was having lunch with Bill. I was like, he was like the only person that was out there. It was like the, the end of the day or eating. And I kept passing 
uh, this table with all this nice food on it, and I'm working. So the high wizard look comes, it's a certain way. It's like a old school tuxedo, a top hat, a wander, a cane, and face paint, a uh, corpse paint on the face. Uh, if you go to um, YouTube and look up Pink, like a pill, she has a high wizard in her video four times. So that would have been my look. And I kept passing this table of food thinking I really want a piece of that cake. But by the time I passed it the last time, the cake was gone. And I looked over, and there's this guy, and he's got a giant piece of this cake. And he's eating, there's like a pretty good barbecue plate on his, on his table. And I walk over, and I ask him if I can have a piece of the cake. And he's like, oh, sure, here, I'll split it in half, and you can have whichever half you want. Very nice man. And I didn't really watch TV. I didn't, I didn't even care who the president was or what was going on. And the first time I was at the Grove was 1987, and it was kind of disappointing. I saw Ronald Reagan there, and I was kind of like, oh, you know, I voted for you. You know, why are you here? And uh, and so here it is. You know, I'm seeing Bill Clinton, and I kind of know who that is, but not really. And uh, while we're sitting there, all of a sudden, one of my security people presses me down to the table is basically laying on top of me and telling me there's a woman there and they start pulling out guns on this woman and I have no idea what's happening because now I'm surrounded by security and they make her drop down to her knees they've got a gun on her and they're telling her to you know stop to drop whatever they're saying and then they let me up they check her she's not armed and they ask me what I want them to do and Bill says that's his wife and I said well do you love your wife or can we shoot her what's, what's the what's the thing here and he says oh no I love my wife don't shoot my wife I love my wife okay so we had we had security escort her off the property and I didn't really know you know it, it wasn't until probably months later that I was like oh wow I was talking to President Bill Clinton and his wife uh, I, I, okay I gotta ask okay um, I would have thought he would have said shooter. I mean, that's just my, you know, my warped <laughs> sense of humor. Okay. G- given, given the, but, but that, that aside, why? Why the guns drawn? Why on your knees? Why, what, because women weren't allowed there? Simply as simple as that or what? Women, women are not allowed to be there. And it is strictly male only. Okay. Wow. And for a woman to be there meant she was also trespassing. Well, you know, and there's the multiple security checkpoints. There should not have been able, there should not have been able to be a way for her to get to where she got. And, and, and that that in itself is interesting. From what I hear about Hillary, well, well, I can go a number of different ways. So I'm going to turn it over to you, Joe. Uh, Mr. King, we are up against our our final break. Um, we got uh, one segment left after this, folks. You're listening to Zachary King, former Satanist, now saved. And uh, his story is very incredible, from uh, magic at an early age to becoming part of a Satanic covenant to being a part of uh, abortions, ritual sacrificial abortions, to uh, becoming saved. We're going to come back with our last segment with Zachary King right after these short messages. Stay with us. 
And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Hagman Report, hagmanreport.com. Hagman and hagman.com for the show, hagmanreport.com for all the show information and uh, news analysis and stuff you need to know. Our guest is Zachary King. Our thanks to Bill McIntosh, Ocasa Media, and uh, just a tremendous guy, tremendous guy. And John Robertson as well for setting up this interview, helping uh, arrange this interview with uh, Zachary King, a former Satanist, giving us the the real deal about abortion, the things that you know every Christian really I think needs to understand what's going on. Before we get back to Mr. King, and we thank him for his time tonight. Um, it, it it's it's amazing. It's just amazing to hear this. Just to reassure everyone out there, we have feeds, multiple feeds coming in from major cities. Um, just everyone relax. Everything's fine. There's some dust ups at the Deplorable in New York and or in uh, D.C. In New York, there's a few minor skirmishes, but nothing. We're going to be keeping our eyes on this, and if anything does come up, we're going to be monitoring this. Actually, between now. And, uh, Saturday morning. So we've got, uh, we've got teams and thanks for your support. Thanks to your support. We've got teams that are actually monitoring this in real time. So, um, and people who are on, you know, actually on the ground monitoring this in real time. But really at this point, there's not too much to say. And, uh, the focus should be as well as, sh- as well as should be on Zachary King before we get back to him. Tradingpostinthewoods.com. Tradingpostinthewoods.com. Now you have the opportunity, folks, to, have what your grandparents had at your fingertips knowledge to empower you the skills to equip you the supplies to sustain and assist you and like-minded staff to encourage you where at tradingpostinthewoods.com that's tradingpostinthewoods.com at tradingpostinthewoods they teach and equip people how not to be a victim or the problem when crisis happens but instead be the solution they are an American family owned and operated company formed from their skills and knowledge gained from responding to over 18 major and, and countless minor disasters both in the U.S. and around the world. <coughs> Folks, tradingpostinthewoods.com is the place to shop for things that you need. I mean, look, most disaster victims don't have enough food and water to survive, let alone medicinals. They've created Simple Survival's American Heritage Remedies Kit and other natural alternatives to provide help for a host of issues when there is no doctor or pharmacy around. Go to TradingPostInTheWoods.com. That's TradingPostInTheWoods.com. One more time, TradingPostInTheWoods.com. Our guest is Zachary King. We're going to get back to Zach. Yeah, let's pick up right where we left off, uh, Mr. King. Yes. Okay. The um, we were talking about the the uh, abortions and how many you performed. We were talking about uh, the progression of your um, involvement in the uh, Satanic Coven and some of the types of people you're around, some of the situations you found yourself in. Was there a moment in time that you decided you had to get away from this? What changed that led you out of? Um, the Satanic Coven. Well, I had, um, I had, like I said, I had totally done 146 assisted abortions. I had helped split about 120 uh, Baptist churches. Um, 
I was uh, pretty much just in. I had done a lot of stuff. Um, there's a lot of sinning that was a lot of fun at first. But, you know, when you can sin all you want, then it, it kind of gets boring after a while. And I was tired of doing what I was doing. And I wanted to get out. I wanted to just quit. You know, like the first time you find out you're going to Bohemian Grove because, you know, you've heard about that this place might be real. The first time you go, oh, man, that's exciting. You know, getting to see the people that are really there and you're actually there and, you know, you've flown in and you've ridden a limousine there and there's there are, you know, presidents there there and this stuff is real. You know, you're getting to sit in on these private meetings and hear all this stuff. First time, very exciting. Second time, a little less exciting, but still exciting. Third and fourth and fifth time, this is still a big deal. Try 18 times. It's not fun anymore. Do you, do you, i got to ask this question. Um, as an investigator, do you have any artifacts, any documents, any uh, pictures, any trinkets, anything from... Uh, your presence and your attendance at Bohemian Grove. No, no. I when when I escaped out of Satanism, I didn't want anyone to know. I, I didn't want anyone to know that this had been my past. I was trying to hide. Um, I, you know, I knew that the ways to get out of a satanic coven was that I could commit suicide, I could be murdered, or I could die of natural causes. Well, since I sold my soul when I was thirteen. All three of those options had to be in hell. I didn't want to die, and I didn't want to go to hell. So, you know, you know, if I'd have thought, oh, you know, I'm really going to need this picture of me standing with uh, Barack Obama in 1994, I should hold on to this. You know, no, is I didn't. It, think is so. that figurative or is that literal? Um, which you I, just said, I didn't. I didn't take a picture with him, but I saw him in 1994 at Bohemian Grove. Uh, at Bohemian Grove, I was told. Um, that man's going to be president one day. And I looked up and I saw him and I thought, you know, nobody in their right mind would vote for Jesse Jackson. Why would they vote for that guy? And uh, and then apparently a lot of people were in not in their right state of mind and still voted for him twice. Is In your estimation, I've got to ask this, and I hope you don't feel like you're on trial here or in an interrogation room. It's just my, I don't know. It's just the way I approach things. Um is Barack Hussein Obama a uh, um, satanic member of a satanic cult? Is he uh, to your to your knowledge, to the best of your knowledge, is he a member of a satanic cult? Is he engaged in pedophilia? To your best of your knowledge, uh, in your opinion, uh, allegedly, allegedly, um, the things that I would question about him would be: Is he really Muslim? I still do wonder if he was born in America, and I would think that uh, quite possibly a homosexual. But you know, that's just things that I've heard. I don't know for a fact any of those things. Okay, and, and yeah, that, that's fine. You know, um, we we've had Larry Sinclair on. Uh, he's the man who reportedly uh, engaged in some pretty despicable activities in the back of a limousine with Obama. Uh, um, but but nonetheless, uh, so so there's that. Okay. Well, I've heard that you couldn't have the other people on that you did those things too because they're dead. 
Yeah, well, three three other members of his church. Yeah, all were uh, killed violently within a very short window of time. All circling into uh, him becoming the nominee and, and winning the election. Um, very suspicious, and uh, right. everything that you mentioned were questions that we had uh, before he even became president. That when you were to ask them, you would be labeled as, uh, you know, a truther, being racist, uh, to even bring up these topics. It was a. Uh, yeah, and, and, and I, pardon me, forgive me for interrupting. I just got to ask this too. WikiLeaks email. Um, uh, Hillary Clinton sacrificing a chicken to Moloch in the backyard. Uh, Cheryl Mills or Hillary Clinton uh, uh, referencing there, reference there. Uh, is that a literal thing or is that is that just? I, I mean, it, your thoughts on that? Well, I've never been to the. the there's a the big satanic cult out in California is actually named the cult. And I would imagine that's probably the group that Hillary goes to. Um, that group has, um, a, you could go there at any given time and see like super famous rock stars or rock bands that are performing. Um, you know, there's a lot of major stuff that goes on there and there's no one bats an eye at doing stuff there. You know, just as, you know, so there's four, um, four meetings at Bohemian Grove every year. Um, most people know about one of them. Everybody knows about cremation of hair, but there's three others. Um, at the other three, no one thinks anything about whatever's going on. It's like, you know, you're not judged when you go there, you know, but if you weren't used to going there and you were like a member of the press that snuck in, like, you know, I don't know, Alex Jones, you know, and you got away with some, you know, seeing some video footage, you know, or seeing some stuff, you'd be shocked. You know, I, I think that regardless of the truth of what Hillary Clinton has done, um, I mean, she could have literally sacrificed a chicken. I, I really kind of doubt that she would have sacrificed just a chicken. You know, if she's, I mean, and the scale of things you could uh, sacrifice, a chicken really doesn't give you much of anything. Interesting. So, I mean, you know. Yeah, and I tend to agree with it, uh, Joe. I, I'm going to toss back, it to you. Back to the Bohemian Grove. You mentioned the uh, three other rituals aside from the cremation of care. Would you categorize those as? Uh, I guess if you were to find yourself at all these different rituals, um, are, are these worse than than what they're you know the mock human sacrifice? Um, of it, the it, are they mark, mock human sacrifices? Um. The, the the mock human sacrifice is they they send a seven year old child behind a black curtain. When he goes back, uh, they generally shock his genitalia. That's the scream you hear, um, and then they give him a shot of something that knocks him out, so he looks like he's dead. When he comes out the other side, it looks like there's a dead child. Even from a distance, it would look like a dead child. It is a sleeping child. Um, when he wakes up, he's still alive, though he's not taken anywhere and murdered. He, they, uh, generally, I believe the child is used in like, um, like they've human trafficked him in there or just, you know, like found him at a bus stop or something in America. So, I mean, it's, there's nobody looking for this kid anywhere. Generally is, is, you know, what the thought process is. Um, 
they don't do, that the, the ritual sacrifice, so to speak, that they do is sort of like, I don't know if either one of you bowl, but back in the, the day before electronic bowling was a thing, um, somebody bowling would tell you to build a wall. And that meant you, you'd build a, a fake wall. It wouldn't be Donald Trump. You'd build a fake wall on the, the bowling paper. And that meant that no bad luck would happen beyond that point. So your bowling game would improve. Well, that's sort of like what happens there. Uh, the cremation of care is supposed to be whether you sacrifice a child and this forgives all the bad luck, all the bad things, all the sinning you've done all year long. And now from here forward, you're just going to have good luck and, and, you know, accomplish great and mighty things with whatever it is you're trying to accomplish. The, there's a lot of homosexuality that happens around this event. Uh, it goes on for about two weeks. So most people don't stay there the full two weeks. Um, there's like different stages of what happens. As well, there's a high wizard there the entire two weeks. And he generally doesn't set up um, any magic to do at the event. It's He's setting up events for later so that, you know, now he's going to be flown to some state or some other country and he'll perform magic for the people there that are, you know, trying to hire him for things. The other three um, meetings, one happens around February, one's around May, and one's around October. Um, they are a lot more private than the cremation of care, but you will still end up with a fairly large group. Like in the, the cremation of care, there is a large um, kitchen staff and wait staff that shows up. There's that same type thing at the other three events, but it's not open to, I mean, the cremation of care is not open to the public, but it's open to, like, you could find thousands of people there. During the other three events, you would find hundreds of people there. More and selective? Is that what you're saying? More selective, yes, more selective. And, and, and how about how about the, shall we say, the uh, fixins? If you know what I mean. Um, no sacrifice of any kind, not even a mock sacrifice. Okay. Um, the things that they will do on occasion because they have that giant owl statue is that they will sacrifice small animals on this altar right there at the owl statue. They will sacrifice small animals on that altar, but nothing bigger than a small animal and no mock sacrifice of a human being. All right. And I've got to ask you this before I turn it back over to Joe. As we investigate Pizzagate, as we investigate the uh, the uh, tens of thousands of emails, as we investigate the, uh, well, you know, the story behind this. Tell us where to look. Tell us what to look for. Tell us where the fingerprints are. Tell, tell us where the evidence is. Tell Point us in the right direction. There's... Um there's um, a pizza restaurant. It'll probably burn down tonight. There's a pizza restaurant in Miami, um, Miami, Florida, um, that strongly resembles the pizza stuff, the, the restaurants that they were showing for the Washington, D.C. area. Uh, it doesn't have um, a basement, though, because in the Miami area, if you had a basement, there'd be water in it. Um, you know, because I mean it's right there, you know the the, the water is right there. But the um, 
the way the building is done, the front half of the building is a restaurant that I don't think is ever open, yet cars go there frequently, and the back part of the building is set up for pornography, for porn shoots. Um, you, usually when a van shows up there, because it's enclosed in a big fence, like a 12-foot chain-link fence with barbed wire on the top, if you're driving by this building... I don't think you would ever guess that what's happening in it is happening in it, but you would kind of wonder why is there a 12-foot privacy fence or, you know, chain link fence with barbed wire around a pizza place. Um, there's vans that will show up that actually pull into the building itself, and they shoot pornography in the back of this restaurant. And then they load up all the kids in that van, and that's how they disappear. Snuff films? Um and it would be child pornography. Child pornography. Um, the last time I knew about snuff films, they were not done with children. They were done with adults. Gotcha. And, again, that was the, the first two covens were the only two covens I was part of. Um, both of them, one of their names was Diablo Sex. And any group that embraces the name Diablo Sex is involved in child prostitution, child pornography, and human trafficking. And both of my covens were involved in that. You know what you're describing? In my first coven, I knew about it because I was in child pornography. In my second coven, I was over 18 when I joined. I, mean, I got out of child pornography because I aged out. I grew a mustache. Nobody wants to see a mustache on a child. So I, they stopped using me in kiddie porn. When I become an adult... That wasn't one of my draws. I was not drawn to, oh, let me go have sex with children. That was not it. So I didn't care that, you know, my other coven, my other coven did this kind of stuff, but it wasn't something that had an appeal to me. So it, it didn't, it didn't, it, to me, it didn't affect me. That's interesting. Um, what, what you described with the restaurant or whatever in Miami that, that is closed off, it, there was something that came up, um, Related to the, I think it's the Pegasus Museum, but apparently that's just a name. The thing's not open, and uh, there's lots of traffic coming and going, and, and uh, people are, you know, left wondering why. And it has some strange connections, but that seems to be, I guess, if if you were going to be smart about it, the, the one thing that bothered me is conducting things like that in an open business. But what you're talking about is much more um, I guess it, it's much it's a lot on, it's under the radar it's not where pe- families are coming and going who have no idea what's going on the people obviously are coming and going there uh, know what they're coming there for so I mean that's uh, it's pretty interesting that um, what you just talked about with the privacy fences and you know the back doors and whatnot. and I guess um it's interesting to know that the stuff is going on in, in all these cities. There has to be an interconnected web of powerful people and uh, people of influence who put these things together. Otherwise, I, I just it, it, it's much harder to do the. I would imagine do that standing alone without that protection. Versus knowing uh, you have local pastors, local law enforcement agencies, judges, uh, and people who are involved in that that know what's going on and know how to cover it up and, and push attention away. And it's um, it's mind-boggling to think that these people do still continue to get away with it, but with the organization that they have, 
that makes a lot more sense. We only got about eight minutes left. Well, so a lot of, go ahead. A lot of people don't realize the the how far up the power structure things go, or you know how evil the, the tentacles of evil can reach. I mean, um, you know, my my second satanic coven was worldwide. You know, the, being able to traffic somebody from anywhere in the world with enough money and with, you know, the right strings to pull or the right political people to know. And all of this stuff becomes very easy. That's scary. Do you think the, um, uh, you know, a lot of people say that psychopaths and evil people are drawn to uh, power. In your experience, is it people are a certain way and they do are attracted to power and become uh, those people of influence or do people become elected and get um, you know blackmailed or or swayed into doing these kind of things I, I think I think that it can happen in a variety of different ways but I think generally you know when like for example um, you know sometimes on occasion Boy Scout leaders will molest kids you know I do not think that somebody became a Boy Scout leader and then saw a boy and thought oh he looks delicious I'm going to go molest him I think clearly that they were a pedophile first and thought, what job can I get that would put me close to children? Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's the way that a lot of things work. I think that there's just evil people out there, and these people think about, what would I like to do with my evilness? Oh, I would like to, you know, do X, Y, and Z. What job would I get that would be best for that? You know, it would be like somebody that's a serial killer that really, really, really wants to kill somebody but doesn't want to go to prison for it or, you know, be given the electric chair for it. So they join the military. Yeah. And, and you know, if you join the military, or you might go out and kill a bunch of people. Before the end of the program, I'm just going to ask you this, and, and I apologize for sounding redundant in my questions, but with respect to Pizzagate and the um, art, in quotation marks, um, of um, what was her name? Uh, oh. Yeah, I, I know you mean. You, you know who I'm talking about. Uh, is this typical in 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 the circles of satanic circles? I mean, is this when 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 you okay? Obviously, I'm I'm sure. You, well, I'll ask you. Did you see pretty much the art of of um, that woman um, using the, the blood and bodily fluids? Um, well. The, the 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 thing that the thing that she does, uh, uh, you know, as as you know, in in the in the in the Bible, it says that you know, uh, Satan was a liar and the murderer from the beginning. So clearly, Satanists are not going to tell the truth when they're describing something, because she says, you know, well, if you do this this ritual at home, then yes, it could be considered a satanic ritual. But when you do it in an art studio, then it's art. It's like really, that's weird because I'm I'm Catholic. And we go to Mass. I go to Mass every day. If I go to Mass at my house, it's a Mass. If I go to Mass at church, it's a Mass. If I go to Mass at a hospital, it's a Mass. If I do a Black Mass as a Satanist, it doesn't matter where I do it, it's a Black Mass. I did it in a museum, it's a Black Mass. If I did it as a, as, at a Satanic church, it's a Black Mass. So her ritual is Satanic no matter where she does it. She's a liar. You know, she's just trying to deflect the truth and redirect us to a different direction 
than looking at her boss. And she does art? Really? She's an artist? And her art is taking a knife and stabbing herself in the hands? Kind of normal person does that. It's pretty dark stuff. And, um, it's a, it shows, I mean, there's, you know, people that are connected to the Clintons and to the Podesta and the seats of power. It shows a pattern of behavior, a very, um, psychotic behavior, if I had to throw my own opinion in there. And, uh, it seems like these people are above the law, which is the way, uh, these things seem to work for some it's reason. Fascinating. Yeah. Uh, we only have a few minutes left, Mr. King. Anything that you want to, uh, make sure that you say that you haven't said yet or, um, Take the last few minutes if, if you want to and um, take us home. Well, um, one of the one of the questions I get um, that I started getting recently was people saw uh, photos of children with red shoes, and I noticed that wasn't a question you guys ask, and it has to do with the Pizzagate thing. Uh, the kids with the red shoes are the ones that were, like, chosen. They kind of won an award. And the award they won is that somebody that donates a lot of money to uh, their particular event gets to participate with the child of their choice that happens to be wearing red shoes. It's kind of like a dubious honor. Um, you know, anybody that wants to check me out further, allsaintsministry.org, I have probably about 45 videos that are just instructional. They're like three to five minutes long. I know that not many of us have long attention spans. There's probably some people that fell asleep during my interview. So, you know, if you go to my website, you can check those out. I have other interviews posted. I have people online that love me and people online that hate me. So if you decided, oh, I can't stand this guy, there, you've got friends online. Welcome to the party. And uh, there are videos as well. Um, I, I am hated by a lot of Satanists. Uh, something about me exposing their boss seems to upset them. And, um, you know, I, I, and as well, if you have questions, if you have spiritual warfare concerns, the devil's attacking you. He's just, he's the monkey on your back and he won't get off and you need some help. My email address and my phone number are on my website and I will give you all the time you need. I will help you in any way that I can. That's what I'm here for. I'm here to help you. Re reassure me, reassure our audience that Jesus Christ is, in fact, your Lord and Savior. Absolutely. Um, I was brought to Jesus in 2008, January of 2008. Um, you know, the people that, that did not get to hear my salvation story, um, you got to look that up online. It, it's a dynamic story that we could do an entire show on that. Um, it, it, it was the best day of my life. Um, you know, realizing that I had not sold my soul when I was 13 years old, realizing that Jesus was my Lord and Savior, realizing that all my occult, my magic, my Satanism, all that was false. It was just one big tub of crap, you know, and, and just seeing that there was hope for me that, you know, when you realize as bad as I was, I can make it. Anybody can make it. God can forgive anybody. You know, all of us stand a chance, you know, and some of us, that's all we need is that chance. Just knowing that Jesus loves me makes everything worthwhile. Uh, what a fantastic message. And, um, very good. 
just to reiterate what you just last said, that doesn't matter how far down or how far gone you think you are, you can always be redeemed through Jesus. Thank you so much, Mr. King, for spending your time with us tonight and sharing uh, all the, the interesting and, and terrifying things that you did share. Yes. May, uh, my pleasure. Thank may, you. May, may the God of heaven, may the God of the Bible protect you and uh, the, the blood of Jesus protect you and, and each one of you. Thank you, sir. We'll be back tomorrow. Thank you. 11 o'clock for inauguration coverage, and we also have our show tomorrow evening. Till then, stay safe. God bless, and have a good night. Thank you.